Hey guys, uh, this is uh, another special episode of Loose Screws, and joining us today is a man of many talents, uh, editor of Parallel Worlds Podcast and the magazine, uh, voice actor, chief editor for Sagittarius Eye Podcast and Magazine, not to mention faction officer and a field reporter. Uh, he's also the deputy trade attache for the one and only Live Radio. The Salty Weasel Elite Commander, Souverain. How's it going, man? <laughs> Hello. Thanks, Andy. <laughs> and also, we have, you know, Kai. So. Hello. <laughs> Slightly less salty weasel. <laughs> <laughs> man, let me start off by saying I can't thank you enough for uh, joining us. And It's early morning here for us, but I know it's uh, evening there for you. So thank you very much for joining us. We're trying to get all the Lave guys and... In, in here before uh, before we start getting big patches from uh, FDev. So thank you very I, much. I really appreciate you uh, you making time and uh, very much appreciate you uh, getting up early to accommodate the time difference as well. Wait a second. He's 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 on a show called you said what? Lave? Lave right? I no, he's this is the very famous editor of Parallel Worlds magazine <laughs> and Sagittarius I magazine. This is this is the biggest get that we've had so far to date. Uh, he's on a, a radio show as well. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't really call it that. <laughs> um, it's um, uh, Lave Radio is. Um, it amazes me how uh, how seriously people take a radio show which is largely dedicated to uh, off color jokes and bathroom renovations. <laughs> wow. Let me turn. Let me turn it now. For the last, basically, for the last uh, six years, I drive to work. So to have something to listen to on the way there and on the way back is awesome. Because I cannot like. There's only so much music I can listen to before I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna pull my ears out. So, <laughs> <laughs> dude, hearing yeah, your hear, hearing that laugh is awesome. Just because that's literally one of my favorite parts of Lave Radio is. <laughs> When you hear the souverine laugh, your your laugh is infectious, man. <laughs> break out with it. So I dig it. Normally, it's after Shan has said something. Uh, that's that's when I hear that. Or, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so uh, yeah, for sure. Obviously, Lave Radio, amazing, and you're you're amazing on that. Um, but I, I really am. No, all kidding aside, I am more interested in finally getting a hold of you to get access to an amazing discussion about all of the incredible articles that uh, I have uh, listened to because I enjoy the podcast for both of Parallel Worlds uh, Magazine and Sagittarius Eye Magazine. So if you could just real briefly for anybody who hasn't uh, already heard, and I know they wouldn't be people that are in our Discord because I, I talk about these on a daily basis. But can you give us a little overview about Parallel Worlds Magazine and Sagittarius Eye? Sure. Um, so Sagittarius Eye is uh, the the Elite Dangerous magazine. Um, it's completely unofficial. Um, it's, it's run by commanders for commanders. Um, <clears throat> it started in September three three zero three. 
uh, and it um, and it covers everything about Elite Dangerous in universe. It's the um, it's the magazine for Pilots Federation members. Um, we cover all aspects of gameplay, all aspects of the game, uh, law, exploration, history, politics, current affairs, events, um, player achievements, um, trivia. Um, there's stuff. Uh, there's there's really complex, high level stuff about um, about PvP and engineering and and the flight model and ship builds, all the way to casual stuff that's a bit more fun about um, players' pets and um, and you know what what player groups have been larking about and getting up to. Um, we uh, we release the magazine quarterly at the moment. Um, and it's a it's an audio and visual thing. So we release a, a, a PDF, um, which is normally about 80, 80 pages of um, <clears throat> of online magazine. Um, and then we have an audio edition as well, which is um, a fully voice acted uh, podcast, which is normally about two hours long with bespoke music um, and effects. And we release them side by side, covering exactly the same content. Um, which was we, we thought long and hard about how to increase accessibility because um, a a sort of an eighty-page PDF is um, is a pretty uh, is a pretty niche thing to consume. So, um, and we decided after a while that rather than release an HTML version or something like that, that the best way to increase accessibility would be to to do the whole thing as a podcast as well as the as well as the uh, the, the online magazine. Um, we, as well as those two, we have um, we have our video uh, channel um, which releases um, breaking news bulletins. Uh, long-form discursive documentaries and occasionally the odd special. Um, and uh, we flatter ourselves that those are pretty good. So um, if, you, if, you, if YouTube's your, uh, your media of choice, then check it out. Um, we also have, as a, as, as a service for players, we also have a breaking news channel, um, which is a short-form sort of blog format, HTML um, news service for, uh, for players. Um, the way to subscribe to it is to head on to the Sagittarius Eye uh, website um, and um, go over to the right-hand side menu and, and, and the downloads uh, button, and you'll see Discord button under there. And um, that is a uh, so the way so, so breaking news is essentially Galnet for players. It's Galnet um, for but player-driven rather than FD-driven. Um, we cover. Uh, we cover the latest developments in PowerPlay with um, fairly in-depth analysis of that. Um, we cover the latest developments in the Thargoid War, um, both the headline figures that FDEV release, as well as the um, the imperatives and priorities of, of groups like the AXI in the hand. Um, we release uh, current affairs and political news about player conflicts, um, new uh, events and discoveries, um, essentially a Galnet-style short-form news bulletin service that is player-driven rather than developer-driven. Um, and uh, what else do we do? That's about it, I think, on the Sagittarius iPhone. Um, Parallel Worlds is a, uh, it's a different box of badges. It's um, some of the team from Sagittarius I work on Parallel Worlds, but not all of them. It is, there is crossover, but it's not, a, um, it's not exactly the same team. Um, it's a smaller team, um, and we cover... Uh, it's a general science fiction and fantasy um, magazine and podcast. Uh, we um, we cover uh, role playing games, tabletop war games, video games, board games, uh, books, TV, film, all across escapism, science fiction, and fantasy. Um, the the style of the magazine we go for um, celebrations of of particular franchises or films or books that we love, um, dis discussions, kind of thinky. 
um, sort of revisionist approaches to to things. Um, we um, we release uh, th- that is monthly. Parallel Worlds is monthly. Um, so on a, in the first week of every month uh, thereabouts, we will release. Uh, it's about sixty five pages long. Parallel Worlds, and it's usually got sort of fifteen, sixteen articles in it covering wide range of the stuff I've just mentioned. Um, and the podcast is released alongside covering exactly the same material. Um, Parallel Worlds, because it's available in shops, you can actually buy that magazine across the UK. Um, that is, uh, it is only available as a free download on the website the month after it is, um, 30 days after it is uh, available in shops to support our stockists. Um, but the podcast version is available uh, for free download from your favorite podcatcher, podcatcher immediately um, as soon as we release it. Um, the current issue for Parallel Worlds is issue five, uh, which released in early January, and we are um, we have just signed off on issue six, which is coming out in a few days' time. Um, and the headline article for that is a, a retrospective and discussion on the BattleTech franchise um, in all its incarnations. Um, oh so if God. you if you love science fiction and fantasy, then I heartily recommend checking Parallel Worlds out. Uh, oh, the other thing about Parallel Worlds, we've um, We've just released our first uh, YouTube video. Parallel Worlds has its own YouTube channel as well. So hopefully that will get up and running and we'll be releasing content fairly regularly um, in the near future. So you know, um, uh, on, on uh, Parallel Worlds on the tabletop side, you guys, I think it was back in uh, November, December, I can't remember the exact time, but you guys released an a, uh, article titled Wargaming on a Budget. And... I've never really gotten into it because it is like wargaming is, you know, there's an expensive buy-in to it to get started yeah. with the miniatures and stuff. But there's a, there's, you guys had a whole article about how you can make miniatures from spare parts and stuff. And it, it I'm this close to pulling the trigger on doing some stuff like that. So <laughs> oh, that's really nice to hear. I'll tell <laughs> yeah. the, the guy who wrote that um, chat called Connor, he'll be really thrilled to hear that, um, that that's had an impact. Yeah. It, yeah. That, that sort of article is exactly the kind of thing we want to be doing sort of inclusive, um, sort of original uh, pieces that broaden the appeal of these kind of hobbies and make them more accessible. Yeah. And, and every episode with your little, there's like a little segment where it's a story behind a specific miniature. So it talks about like painting the miniature and whatever, but then it also talks about the story, like what's on the box and then expanding on that on you know, covering the type of unit or the type of, of creature that is being painted in that, that particular one. And it's just a neat little segment of, of it's like a doorway into that universe for people who maybe have always been on the outside looking in and never quite got it. Yeah. The, the, the nice thing about many of the month is that it's, um, it's a way to breathe a bit of life into a miniature that you might've painted and, and, or like, you know, botched together out of different parts and, and really love and have a bit of a story to. And wh- whether it's something that you play for role-playing games or a, or a piece out of an army set, um, it's, it's a way to kind of breathe a bit of life into that, into that character and share whatever backstory you've come up with for it. And, um, and so far, we've only, um, our team have been, uh, our team don't really want to throw it open to the public because they're enjoying doing it so much themselves. But it would be nice to throw it open to the public. So um, if, if, you know, if readers have particular models that um that they really are proud of then then we encourage them to send some photos in and a bit of backstory and we'll we'll gladly feature uh readers submissions for that as well you know something something else i recently read was alien video game alien and it was it had some things in there talking about how uh you know when, when there's some engine limitations and number two there's 
stuff in regards to uh, uh, they don't want to initially make them too alien because then it kind of you can't really identify some things as a as a human being. The psych the psychology behind it. And I thought that was a yeah. really really interesting way to look at things. So yeah, it's, it's a good article. Louis, the chap who wrote that, is he's 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 a real thinker, and um, it was a really he comes up with really really toothsome, interesting ideas for articles. And that one, I was just like, yes, that is such a good point. Like all aliens in video games are basically humanoid. Like they're not, you know, they're either like floating eyeballs or essentially humanoids. And um, yeah, it was, it was a good take. Yeah. I, I, I'll stop being around to you now, Cass. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 man. This is great stuff. I'm, I'm digging it. I want to stop real quick though, because just you went and you gave a brilliant overview of sort of the whole thing, but I want to give a very concrete, very, very sort of bullet point thing. And I'm encouraging everyone. I cannot stress this enough. Every person that hears the sound of my voice right now, pause the show and go do these, these things immediately because they, they are a must. Number one, you can get, go to SagittariusI.com and you can download the actual PDFs and look at them. Number two, go to wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to Sagittarius I, the podcast. It is the single best podcast, including ours, including every podcast. It is the single best podcast, not only that I've heard for the game Elite Dangerous, but that I've ever heard for any game that I've ever played going back in the uh, the history, like even including back when I was playing World of Warcraft or Final Fantasy fourteen, it's just the best. Uh, go to YouTube and subscribe to the Sagittarius Eye YouTube channel to catch all of the stuff that's, that's going on. Um, go to Parallel Worlds uh, site and, and check out their PDFs. You can go to YouTube for Parallel Worlds and subscribe to that and go subscribe to the Parallel Worlds uh, uh, podcast so you can catch their episodes. And lastly, tell us, Souverine, a little bit about, so for people that are lucky enough to live in ye olde England, they, they can go to this local store and pick up the magazine. But for us Americans who want a copy of uh, Parallel Worlds magazine actually shipped to our door. We can get it through the Patreon. Please give us a, a, a brief description on how that works so that Americans can get the magazine shipped over from, from England. Sure. Okay. So um, when we first started Parallel Worlds, the idea was we would, um, we would rely on uh, Patreon and, um, and it would be a, a web scene. Um, after, a f after a few weeks, we realized that stock that that like a local game shop that host that maybe host Warhammer 40k games and uh, Dungeons and Dragons sessions and that kind of thing um, and sell board games and whatnot that kind of place would be um, full of our readers um, and uh, and would be a great place for the magazine to be um, so we started working with a, a handful of of really good quality local game shops around the country um, and um, and after we started doing that we started printing more copies. Um, and, um, and, and initially when we, when we first started the magazine, it was very, very expensive to get copies of, of the mag printed because we were only printing a handful. But when we started working with shops, the, um, we were needing to print quite a lot more. So now our print run is a bit bigger, um, which means that our printing costs per copy have gone down quite a lot, which means that actually we can, we can afford to send 
hard copies for much, much, much less than we did when we started. So on our Patreon, if you um, there are three tiers at the moment. There's there's one higher one um, if you want to complete the whole set. Um, there's uh, the bottom one, which is uh, five dollars a month, which is gets you a credit in the magazine and access to the the PDFs um, before anybody else. Um, and the the main one that I encourage people to to go for is the ten dollars a month one, um, which is um, which you get all the benefits of the of the regular tier, but um, but as well as that, we'll post a um, a print copy of the magazine to your door every month. Um, and uh, there, there, there might be a um, there might be a, uh, a a slight surcharge for postage depending where you are in the world. Um, but we sort of do that ad hoc depending on, um, and we just add it add it on depending on how much how much more expensive it is than UK posting. Um, but it's it's in terms of Patreon rewards, it is really really good value, um, and I thoroughly recommend you to do that. Um, there's something about holding when we when we started, we we really really deeply felt that we wanted to to encourage print as much as possible because there's something about holding a magazine in your hands that seeing it on the screen doesn't have there's something something about it that just doesn't it's that there's a magic to it um so yeah definitely recommend this, that if you like magazines this is exactly why i print out uh sagittarius right now i've just been doing the pdf of parallel worlds but uh like i don't listen to sagittarius podcast and that's a the reason why is because I read Sagittarius I PDF on the pot. <laughs> it's a ritual. I was like, I got my little thing. Going to go sit down and enjoy my time. So, <laughs> Don't blame me. Um, yeah, I, the, um, yeah I, uh, one thing that we really, really want to do and that people keep asking us is whether we can offer printed copies of Sagittarius I as Patreon rewards so we we have a, a patreon scheme for for parallel uh, for sagittarius i sorry um and we have loads of really generous patrons on there um which cover um which cover our the running costs of sagittarius i um and allow us to make a few little contributions to charity every year um and um one thing that we would love to be able to do is offer printed copies of sagittarius i to patrons um, every month as well, and it would be perfectly achievable. We've got the means to do it. We think we we think the interest is there to make the print runs affordable. Um, the only problem is that um, FDev are slightly reluctant to um, for us to essentially run a print subscription service, which is what it would end up being um, in in all but name. Um, and uh, I totally respect their position. That their argument is that print is slightly more permanent than than an online pdf and and they have no control over what looks a lot like an official product um so we totally respect that that position um and that is why we don't offer um print copies on of sagittarius i on the patreon while i also respect that that position i hope that you get some kind of contact in the not too distant future saying that they've decided to go ahead and fully sort of back it and allow for that because uh, as far as i'm concerned sagittarius i is the best ambassador for the game it is the best thing that will pull you into the game it is that the quality of it is not it's not fan art it's not fan made it is professional quality and it is just absolutely top notch so yeah, I, 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 I couldn't so. agree more so <laughs> cool that's great to hear the, the team will be really really thrilled so, um, nobody takes any nobody takes any material or reward out of Sagittarius Eye, and um, uh, so all they all they have is people's feedback, um, and 
and obviously people are very vocal when they don't like something um, and we don't always hear when people do so it is absolutely lovely to hear that you're enjoying it I would love to see even more of an expansion. I would love to see some integration with regard to this. I would love to click on my gal feed in, in my cockpit and and suddenly hear a Sagittarius Eye article. That would be amazing. <laughs> we, we, we've that. approached, uh, we spoke to Frontier about it and um, it's not possible, sadly. It would be it would be brilliant. It would be absolute perfect use of, um, of, of cockpit audio, but, uh, but sadly not. Well, have you ever considered, because I mean, I, I disagree with you just a little bit there. It is possible if you go the HCS route, if you just put out a free add-on that is, uh, you know, like how they have with the HCS voice packs, uh, if you put out the free base and then you could, quote-unquote, subscribe to and get the Galnet feed or get the uh, Sagittarius I rather feed, you could run it that way as an add-on. Hmm. Okay, we'll need to speak about this after the show because um, <laughs> I'm I'm very up for I'm, that. That sounds like the kind of uh, low investment, high payoff thing that would be worth us doing. Um, so yeah, let's let's talk more about that. I I, I know some of those words. <laughs> right on, right on. So uh, I I feel like I, I I've got I I had to do that major major plug. So again, the last bit, the Patreon. Go to the Patreon for Parallel Worlds. It's 10 bucks a month for the magazine. In the US, it's going to be an extra whatever, three or four dollars for shipping, but well worth it and, and an amazing way to, you know, to get, or uh, uh, the only way really to get this over here just yet. Um, also, feel free to go to, uh, go to amazon.com and search for Parallel Worlds and then click on a thing if there's a, a, a contact thing saying, like, hey, you guys should, be co- you guys should provide this because I want this in the US. And see if we can get it, get it, uh, get it over here as well. But I, I really, really, really wanted to hit those plugs hard because uh, I cannot enough state how this is the absolute best content uh, for with regard to Sagittarius Eye for the game and for Parallel Worlds. It's just uh, amazing. So now that I've done that, I can stop shilling and 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 feel free that I can just talk uh, casually. I, I, I got to say the last episode of Parallel Worlds that I that I listened to, so so good. It went right from uh, a discussion of the Enrico Fermi paradox and the galactic filter, and talked about like how you know, like just just how all of that works as far as 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 far as you know seeing other life in the universe and and just super super interesting in-depth conversation and then it rolled right into a whole thing on uh alien the movie alien so i have forever loved the movie alien amazing and i've always loved uh ripley the character and it was so intriguing to me because i i don't i didn't know why i loved her so much i mean obviously sigourney weaver amazing the movie amazing but I didn't know what it was about that character that called to me so much until I heard your article where you explained that that article, that, that part, that character was written. Ripley was a man in the script and all the way up till right before they actually started production, like started shooting, it was meant to be a male part. There was some change up 
And sort of last minute, they switched it over to Sigourney Weaver, but they didn't do what Hollywood always does, which is rewrite the role completely as a quote unquote woman role. They didn't make her weak. They didn't make her sexualized. They didn't. I mean, she was sexy, but without being sexualized. She Absolutely. Wasn't, Correct. She, yeah. She that's, wasn't that's the word. Yeah. She wasn't objectified. She wasn't, you know, she was just a human dealing with unimaginable terror and, and, and fighting for survival and all of these things. And that adds so much to my sort of going back and rewatching it adds so much to my enjoyment of that character and celebration of that, that whole work of, of fiction that like it, things like this, man, I, I, I love when, people much smarter than me that are much more dedicated to digging and finding these things can come up with stuff that really makes you question things and think about things and, and maybe enjoy things in a way that you didn't even know that you did before, but now you do, you know? Oh, that's, that's cool. Yeah. The things that, the, the reasons that you love that character, I totally share with you. Totally. That, that article was really lovely to put together. The, um, the writer, behind it is um he was i think that might have been his first article with us um he was new to the team and he had also never seen the alien films um and we gave him the brief and he was like okay well i'm gonna have to watch them and i was like what excuse me you've never you've never seen the (laughs) alien films and he said no i've never seen them i was like i'm so jealous of you i'm so jealous you you have you're you know you are obliged to go and watch all of the alien films and uh and then write about them like you i envy you their novelty um, and uh, and it was so cool. Um, and then he he put the article together and uh, and he shared an early draft with us. And we were like, oh, brilliant! Your enthusiasm is and excitement over this is is palpable and really comes through. Um, and uh, and then the editors um, sort of said, okay, you know, have, think about this angle, think about this angle. Here's here's a couple of pieces of research that would be interesting to work in there. Um, and then we sort of iterated back and forth a bit. Um, and we were really happy with with the result um, because um, it's exactly the kind of article that we like doing, a sort of a, a thinky, discursive exploration of a franchise that is really seminal and, and really influential. Um, and you're, I totally agree with you about Ripley. She is, for me, Ripley is the single best hero um, in, uh, single best female hero in all of uh, TV and film um, because she's sexy without being sexualized, nurturing without being weak uh badass without being sort of butch or or unattractive or or demeaned in any way she's just phenomenal and the fact that the fact that that was accomplished and that character seems so compelling and so original for for hollywood and filmmaking in general at that time but when you actually hear that you know it seems puzzling that such a brilliant natural character that's so inspiring and impressive would come from uh would 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 come from um from the US at a time like that you um or anywhere in the world really uh when you hear that actually that she was only she was late cast and the and the role was written with a man in mind it all just you know clicks into place um so uh so yeah it was it was good fun to to write and research and edit that one you know what would be an interesting idea for an article actually would be to cover sort of the other end of the spectrum in an interesting way. Sigourney Weaver also played in, in one of my favorite Star Trek movies of all time, uh, Galaxy Quest. She played uh, the sort of bimbo TV character girl 
that was out there with her cleavage out and whatnot or whatever. But then as the movie progressed and she, you know, it, it showed you the real person sort of behind the character of that and how she, you know, was was intelligent in a way that so they, they played with all of those tropes of, you know, she was the bimbo or whatever. But quite often there were times where she, you know, she had uh, so much more to bring to it as a human being. It's a, it's. I, I just find that an interesting juxtaposition of, from going of playing the character that is written so perfectly and, and naturally to being the character who is natural, but is playing uh, the trope. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah, interesting. Okay, yeah, Galaxy Quest. We'll look into it. Um, that does sound exactly the kind of thing that we should be doing. So, good tip. <laughs> so... Uh, I have to ask you, with regard to your history with Sagittarius I, uh, at what point did you, so you came in at one point and you were, so if I'm, unless I'm mistaken, you were part of sort of the crew and you were one of the editors and then you took over as the managing editor. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that's it. So Sagittarius I was started by Commander Whitman in, in probably summer 3303 and at that time i was taking a break from the game i was taking about a year out and um whitman and i had worked together on a um on a like an in-universe magazine style thing in actually no it wasn't a magazine it was an in-universe kind of news agency in colonia with when ccn was launched in uh in 3302 and um And I actually set that newsroom up in Colonia and, and recruited Whitman. And, and we, we, it was like, our, it was like the Sagai breaking news, really. We, we sort of, um, we released HTML news stories, um, about Colonia life. Um, and then I, I left Colonia when the, um, expansion initiative started. And, um, and then after about, uh, after about a year, um, Whitman left as maybe six months, Whitman left as well and went back to the bubble. And, um, and he decided that he wanted to set up a magazine covering all of Elite Dangerous, um, and uh, and he reached out to a, a load of people, and I think he I think he made a, an appeal on the forum, and and he messaged me and said, right, I'm doing this, I want you on the team, and uh, and I said, cool, all right, sounds good. I'm literally just dipping my toe back into the game. Um, I, uh, I I booted up Elite, and I was like, I haven't played this for a year. I don't remember anything. There's been a bunch of updates. Uh, I sold all my ships, um, got back in my Sidewinder, the Salty Weasel. Um, and, uh, and stuck some fixed rail guns on it. And I was like, screw it. I'm going to learn how to fly. Um, and I spent six months just flying this sidewinder and, and, and perfecting my fixed, um, weapon aim. And, uh, and at this point and, and, and sort of a couple of weeks in, um, I get this message and I was like, dude, I, I, I'm so out of touch. I don't even remember how to play the game. Like, let me like ease me in gently. So I have a I have a credit I have a contributor credit in issue one I think, um, and um, but I I wasn't involved in the team I didn't edit I didn't I um, I, I was just sort of peripherally um, I don't deserve the credit at all I, I didn't do anything um, and then um, with issue two I got more involved I don't I can't remember if I wrote anything for issue two I might have done I think I did um, and um, and also helped edit um, and at that point Whitman was having more and more. Uh, real life stuff that was demanding more and more of his energy, and uh, and was also realizing that month was actually going to be quite a punishing schedule, um, and uh, so I took over, sort of doing more and more of the of the management, um, and uh, and we continued like that for a couple of months, and then gradually Whitman took sort of greater steps back until I think it was 
probably issue three that uh, that I'm credited as. I can't remember when I was first credited as the lead editor, but but I I sort of took over day to day management from about issue three, um, and have and have basically been in charge ever since. Um, Whitman has dipped his head back in a couple of times over that time um, uh, to write articles and and um, catch up with the team. Um, but um, but yeah, it's been me since since very early days actually. I, well, go ahead. No, no, no. You go ahead. Well, um, how do you like? How, how do you feel about being uh, lead of all that? And because you mentioned you quit the game, and I'm not sure I even realized that. Um, well, let me ask you this: what What was the reasons behind you know putting the putting elite down? Yeah, good question. Okay, so I I'm a beta backer. Uh, I uh, it's a complex. The, the answer is complex, and um, and has many threads. I uh, I got into the game after a friend sent me a link to a video showing um, uh, showing the binary star system Ibutis, um, and it was a time lapse video of the stars spinning around each other. And he said, "This game is coming out. This is a thing in the game. This does, there's no gameplay associated with this, but this is how the game works." And I was like, "Okay, that's cool." Um, and um, so I, I became a beta backer. Uh, the videos that sold me on the on Elite Dangerous were the mm-hmm. the dev videos, which I'll happily link, um, which still exist, of David Braben talking about the vision for the game, how you were going to be able to explore space stations and your ships, how you're going to be able to land on atmospheric and non-atmospheric planets and explore them, and about how it was going to be a real science fiction universe that you could live in, and it was the game he'd always wanted to make and always dreamt that Elite would be from you know back from the eighties, um, and I was like, well, I want to be on that train. Um, and, uh, I, uh, so I am one of the very irritating forum whiners that are still banging the drum for those features. Um, and, uh, unapologetically so because, um, because the way it was phrased back in 2012 and 2013 was when we do planetary landings and when we do space lakes, not if, um, and, uh, so anyway, I, I was, um, I've, but I absolutely love elite. I've always, I've, I, I love it as it is. Um, I've been looking forward with anticipation to those features um but i uh but i've also got about three cumulative weeks in the game playing it so um so it's not exactly uh it wouldn't be true to say that i don't enjoy it as it is um but in 3302 um i'd been playing pretty heavily for a couple of years and um and felt a little bit like that i might want to take a break until you know, until the game was a couple more steps along that roadmap that I was waiting for, um, of the, you know, the full science fiction universe you can live in. Um, and, um, and also as well at that time, uh, the, it was after Distant Worlds 1, um, there, was, there were two expeditions that kind of went side by side called the Jaunt Jacks and the August Exodus. And they were, they were two expeditions that um, actually led to the creation of Colonia. Um, and I was... Uh, I was one of the founding members of the Colonia Citi- Citizens Network, which is um, which is a reasonably a reasonably newsworthy event at the time. The Colonia was was fairly was one of the biggest bits of news in three three zero two, and um, uh, and uh, Commander Eremus and um, Satsuma and Cohen Leth and Doctor Kai and, and um, a couple of others and I um, we wanted to 
uh, we wanted to create a place in the game that had a permanent feel of an exp- expedition like those ones that I just mentioned or Distant Worlds or something like that. Um, and um, that was free from power play, free from BGS, free from ganking, free from politics, free, free from you know Discord server whining, um, free from players calling themselves ambassador this and grand vizier that and just just people who who like explorers and and you know people who wanted collaborative fun gameplay um and um and it was a heady idealistic dream um and um and it was it was brilliant it was it was wonderful for a time for six months it was absolutely wonderful we had tons of people coming out there and ccn was a wonderful server to be on and really good fun and every day there were you know, people were making new videos and setting up new projects and new new missions. Um, every week, we'd have a, a big event where we'd play um, we'd play like Anaconda Limbo or or um, or Splat the Rat or any number of, of really really fun games with SRVs and ships and things. Um, and if you've not been to Colonia, it's beautiful out there. The sky is absolutely purple and just impossibly covered in stars. Um, and we we had a, an absolute blast. And there was no there was no BGS. There were no there was no kind of big conflicts. There were no player groups with, um, with sort of you know hierarchy role play or anything like that. It was just explorers larking about. Um, and um, and Frontier had made noises that they really want to um, to inject a bit more sort of development into Colonia, and they wanted to support what players were doing, which is wonderful and absolutely the way game dev should work. They should, you know, that was absolutely the right choice. Their implementation of that was to say, right, we're going to set up the Colonia expansion initiative. And what this is, is we're going to let all the player groups in the bubble <laughs> um, c- like compete to establish an outpost of their BGS faction in Colonia. Um, and when we heard this, we were like, what now? <laughs> <laughs> please uh, no, please, please no. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And, and a, a good example, and an example I made in, a, in an ed- editorial of Sagai a while ago, um, was it was as if the founding fathers of the United States had said, rather than doing our own thing, let's contact all the landed gentry and aristocracy of, the, of England and ask them to set up subsidiaries in the States. It was like that. We, we wanted to build our own society. We didn't want any of that rubbish. We didn't want any of it at all. Um, and, uh, and, but Frontier were like, no, this is the way to support players. Um, and um, so there was a little bit of a... Uh, it, I, I felt that was a bit tone deaf. Um, but at the same time, player groups are, you know, groups of players are by far the largest, um, by far the largest constituency of, in, of players in the game. And, and why should, why should a bunch of self-appointed, um, pioneers claim ownership over, a, over a particular part of the galaxy? Um, and, um, so I, I don't, you know, I, I, I sort of, I don't want to sound too bitter about it and I don't necessarily think that it was, um, uh, it's not a, a drama I bang often. But um, but I don't think it was uh, it wasn't the development it wasn't the way that I wanted to see the Colonia develop and uh, and from there we tried to make the best of it um, but it quickly became apparent that our sort of idealistic dream of this apolitical neutral space for for collaborative gameplay and and fun sort of collective objectives was just going to be was just going to turn into a patchwork of factions fighting um, and. Uh, so I felt a bit disillusioned, and I was like, "I'm not sure if I can. I'm not sure if I can stick around for this." So I left Colonia in uh, as in I think during the first or second wave of the CEI, the Colonia Expansion Initiative, um, and that was in um, 
in very late 3302 or early 3303. And, and by about, by sort of the first few days of January, I'd put the game down. And I just thought, you know what, I'm, you know, we still haven't got atmospheric landings or space legs. There's no, there's no mention of those on the horizon. The horizon season is taking twice as long as they said it would. Um, I think I'll just, I'll give this a rest for a bit. Um, <laughs> and, um, and during that time, I, I met my now wife and spent, um, spent a year doing other stuff. And, um, and then I came back to the game in late 3303. Um, and I had all that, you know, the thrill of and the excitement of coming to the game fresh. And I was just like, wow, docking, wow, hyperspace, wow, this is awesome, um, <laughs> which is great. You know, those, th- those things are absolutely the meat and potatoes of why Elite Dangerous is brilliant. And when you get bored of things like docking or hyperspace jumps, then go and play something else because that you know th- those are wonderful experiences. Um, and uh, and then since then I've, I've I've played fairly solidly and th- and that was um, uh, and then it was from that point that I was involved in Sagittarius Eye as I mentioned. So the 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 dream that was Colonia that the uh, as, as they would say in in Firefly when they talked about Earth that was it's like Colonia that was uh, <laughs> the dream of that. Honestly, I feel so. I, I took my motto well from originally from Bill and Ted, but but uh, also from the the motto of the Colonial Accords, which was be excellent to each other. I I I, I took that to heart a hundred percent, and that's that is my sort of aim at all times with with everything that I do with this game and and and. I, That's nice. I I feel like it's interesting because you're you're right. It was this sort of pure thing, and they came in. Uh, FDev came in with the best of intentions of saying we're going to support this in a way of of you know expanding it and giving more sort of dials and knobs and you know things to do with it. Uh, but it did change the flavor. So I'm thinking maybe what we have to do is get Jacks drunk. And get him to jump again, and this time when he jumps, we'll we'll have like three three outposts that we can build around it. And when the uh, the governments come to say like, "Hey, we we'll just tell them piss off. We're done. We're we're not we're not having any of that here. This is going to stay a pure thing. Of uh, this is a, uh, a a country of explorers. This is nothing to do with politics." <laughs> yeah. It- there would be there would be different. I the way I feel about Colonia now is that it is it's un, it's undeniably a success. It clear it's clearly a success. There are loads of players there. there are loads of, they have fun. The Colonia Accords seem to work. There are the there's the occasional conflict, but it, it broadly seems okay. Um, and BGS gameplay is undeniably an important part of Elite Dangerous, and the conflicts that arise from it are good gameplay. They are fun. Um, we Sagittarius I has a BGS faction, and I love getting involved in that stuff. Conflict is an inherent part of the game. My, what, you know, my argument it would always be that there should be room in the game um, for a different kind of gameplay, and that while BGS and territorial battles are a good a good fun source of gameplay and content they should not be the only source of gameplay and content. And for players that don't wish to engage with that, there should be a, an area which, um, which caters for them. And, um, and, the, and Colonia has undeniably become a, quite similar to the bubble in that respect, in that it is, um, it's a patchwork of factions with, with territories and conflicts between them and that sort of thing. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's arguably better regulated, and the Colonia records work. Um, 
But I would have liked to have seen a recognition of the fact that the majority of players that were that were creating gameplay and a sense of community in Colonia were not those kind of players. Um, so the way I would have done it would be to I, I would have I would have said right, yep, yeah, okay, we're going to support you guys. We're going to support the players. We, we, want, we want to develop Colonia. What we're going to do is every week there'll be a, a, a community goal for a new station. Um, and gradually those stations will get bigger and bigger. And by the end of the year, we'll be doing community goals to build orbises, which have all the features and all the shipyards and all the all the services. Um, and for the next few months, we'll just be doing small CGs for little outposts, little mom and pop places where you've got like sort of limited services to simulate the sensation of a, a real frontier spirit, you know, a real pioneering building a new society spirit. Because that's how we felt. That's what we were doing. Um, so that would be what I would do if I was FDF, but it's not the direction they took, and um, and it's led to a different outcome. I wouldn't call Colonia a failure, uh, a failure, but it is certainly not what we wanted at the, when we started out. So I, I noticed that there was an interesting sort of nuanced theme in your coverage to Colonia in Sagittarius I, where it talked about you know the excitement of the buildup and whatnot, and then there was articles later that came that that really talked about sort of the feel of like yeah it's big it's grand uh but it doesn't have the flavor that it once had yeah there was there was a feeling we used to organize canyon races and and events weekend and um and there was a real feeling that we were building something new there was a real feeling that we'd been given this video game giant blank canvas and that this little group of players that just wanted to muck around together and um, and sort of support each other had carved out a little bit of it just for us, and we're making something really new and exciting. Um, it sounds it's it, it sounds a bit sort of um, facile now, but we really felt like we were sort of building a new society. That's how it felt, and we were really we were quite closely knit. And you know, we had things like the Colonia Gazette, which I set up, which was a sort of Colonia magazine or Colonia newspaper. Sorry, um, we had events every week. We had um, different scientific. Uh, initiatives to to do mapping and and um, and modeling and and you know we had one initiative to map all the the rings of the local mining outposts and another initiative initiative to catalogue all the earth like worlds in the surrounding few tens of light years all that all that kind of stuff like it, there was a real feeling that we were that we were doing this together completely off our own backs this wasn't this wasn't raid content that had been created that we all happened to be in the same lobby for this was this was sandbox stuff that we had carved out for ourselves and we were setting our own priorities. Um, and, you know, there was, there was one broken station out there. And then after, after a couple of months, there was a couple of planetary outposts. And when you're, when you're by one of those planetary outposts, which has existed because of, which, which has been put into the game because things that you and your friends have done and you're organizing a canyon race or something and you're, and you're, you're at least six hours of boring gameplay from every other player like it just it really was an amazing feeling it felt really really cool it'd be like in it'd be like it'd be like playing something like world of warcraft and a hundred players or so going off into some completely out of the way nowhere that had nothing on the edge of the map and setting up their own little state and with its own institutions and its own constitution and that kind of thing it, it really felt like that if I could pitch something to Frontier, I, I would pitch them this idea. Hire one person to start, maybe three, 
down the road, but one person to start and have their job be that they are the narrative representative. And if you literally had a man or a woman uh, who came into work every day at Frontier, logged in, and their job was just to go around the galaxy to use pre-existing assets that were already made, but to go around the galaxy and look and see what is happening like your idea of <clears throat> a colonial where they just put in little CGs to build this up or that up. If they had a narrative representative who would like contact you guys that were out there when it first started and, and say, Hey, let me, let me ask you guys, what is it that you're going for? What is, okay. I get it now. I get what you guys are doing. I get the tone of what you're going for. Let's just, Again, using pre-existing assets, using, okay, we got these stations that we could drop in anywhere at any time. We, we got these kind of mega ships. We got these kind of whatever. They could do little things to just sort of build the dynamic day-to-day state of the game. Not, not Raxla, not you know game-breaking stuff that they already have specifically set up for, okay, we're going to do this at this times or whatever. Not the big picture the little picture slice of life day-to-day stuff. Imagine what you could do with something like that. If they were to contact you and say, hey, we're going to do this and we're going to start with uh, Jax is going to make another jump and he's going to start at a new place. What what would your feelings on that be? I I don't know. I don't don't know. I, I really don't know. It's difficult to disentangle the it's difficult to disentangle the concept from the the lived experience of being there um it's really difficult to separate the concept of this kind of utopian new you know we've thought of it as a new a new alternative to the superpowers in a way you know we're not the empire we're not the federation we're not the alliance we're colonia um and everything's different here um the but so much of a part of it was the place and the time and the people and the experiences that if you were to say, let's just try it all again, it would be, um, I'm trying to think of a good analogy, and I can't really, I can't really think of one. Um, I, I, would be, I would be really optimistic. I'd be really cautiously optimistic. And, you know, there have been, the Witch Head, for example, was a new, a new outpost. It seemed slightly scripted, um, but potentially, you know, there's no reason that players could, have, could not have made a concerted effort to, to make the same arguments for that. Um, and it, it, you know, it didn't happen. I think if, if somebody was to approach me from Frontier and say, we're going to do this, not that, any, not that they ever would, and neither should they, because I shouldn't have a monopoly on what, on what directions the game takes. But, um, but if they did, I, I would say, brilliant, sounds good. Let's, let's pitch it to the players that like that and gauge their, engage their enthusiasm first, because these things have to be driven by players, because it's, it's players and the interactions between them and the, and the sense of community that they engender that are the heart of something like that, not dev decisions, really. Hmm. So kind of going off of that, let me ask you this. Basically the same three questions. Um, because I'm of the mindset that with fleet carriers, fleet carriers are basically going to be the new star bases. Because that's, you know, they're going to be player or new player-driven star bases is the best, the best way I can phrase it. Yeah. What do you what do you think will get out of fleet carriers? What do you want out of fleet carriers? Ooh, okay, yeah, uh, good question. I um, I don't think fleet carriers are the result of 
a couple of people who love space sims thinking, what game do we want to play and what game do we want to make? I think they are the result of a boardroom asking what will keep the forum whiners happy. Um, I, I think that if you'd asked Michael Brooks and David Braben in uh, 2013, will players be able to own capital ships? They would say, that's not really, that's not really the experience of playing Elite. It's, it's, it's not the game we want to make. Um, so I think that I think the idea of of capital ships for every player is actually fundamentally at odds with what the game is supposed to be. I was on board with it when they were for squadrons. A capital ship that is as a as a group goal that a group of players can band together as a squadron and work towards and then have as an, as an asset makes sense. It would give meaning to squadrons as a feature, which is currently largely useless. Um, it would it would give them a shared goal to work towards. It would um, and it would it would be a, a an aspect of gameplay that you could only access through squadrons and therefore would make squadrons more appealing. Um, giving them one to every player, an asset the size of a city is is really of of quite limited interest in gameplay terms. You can't explore it on foot. You can't pilot it. Um, it's you know essentially they're going to be large static asset space stations or megaships that a player can ostensibly own and maybe name. Um, and my really deep concern is that the game cannot, with the, with the features we have, the game cannot support them being interesting. Um, you know, the idea that they're going to have great new uses, like, you know, Frontier have already ruled out that they're not going to be able to fight each other. So there's not, there's no combat advantage, direct combat advantage from having a megaship. They're not going to have station destroying weapons. They're not going to, they're not going to be able to sort of field weaponry, weaponry that, that the existing roster of ships can. Um, they're essentially going to be vanity items that players can buy. Um, I really, really hope that Frontier have awesome ideas for them up their sleeves that will um, uh, that will really dramatically uh, prove me wrong and um, and that I haven't thought of. And, and there are some, and even if they are just a big static asset, a big megaship that a player can can spend all their money on and then own and act as a vanity item, there still are benefits to that. For example, we do need something to spend all of our billions on as late game players. Um, and also, um, having, uh, you know, just the fact that they can make very, very long hyperspace jumps means that they will have a use for things like expeditions and, and long-range mining and that kind of thing. Um, but the fact that Frontier have already ruled out the most interesting uses for them means that my my suspicion and concern is that when we get fleet carriers, what they will be is a megaship that you can own that has a station services menu and the and the services it offers depends on what upgrades you've paid for. If you've paid for the exploration upgrade, what you have is the universal cartographics menu. If you've got a trading megaship, uh, sorry, if you've got a, a trading fleet carrier, then what you've got is um, the 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 commodity market interface. If you've got a, a combat one, then what you've got is the bounty board. That you know, logically, that's the that's the way it's going to be. I'm absolutely terrified. That's the way it's going to be. Basically, just big big limited space stations that players can own um which we don't need we do not need those we don't and we, we don't need um we don't need more big vanity items for for, for players to save up for um and even I, I think even the name fleet carrier now is now a misnomer because um because you know that made sense when uh when they were supposed to be for squadrons and they would carry the squadron's fleet but uh but now they're basically just player owned megaships well, they, they actually did modify it. They're not fleet carriers anymore. They are personal fleet carriers. They carry exactly. your personal exactly. fleet, yeah. which is a bit of a wah, wah kind of situation. Yeah. 
I mean, it's arguable that being able to store all of your fleet in a space station that you can move is actually quite a good thing. Like, you know, there are, I, I remember back in about 3301, um, a friend, three friends and I had a little BGS faction in, uh, in Empire Space. And we were, we, I remember one weekend we moved all of our ships to our new, our new home station. Um, and it took us all evening flying backwards, taxi haulers, picking up ships and flying them to and from our new, um, from wherever they were stored to our new base. And it was fun. It was a fun evening. Um, and we remember thinking, we remember laughing and being like, you can tell this isn't a fully fledged game yet because there's no kind of summon all ships. Like we have to do this manually kind of thing. <laughs> um, and, um, and arguably, you know, being able to, being able to have a base ship that all your ships fit into, like Russian dolls, that you that you move around as your base of operations, and then boom, you've got all your ships with you. Like you know, that's got that's got utility. Arguably, there is there is use there. Um, so I don't think the I don't think personal fleet carriers is a terrible idea. It does it does kind of give a new structure to the game. Um, but I, I still think fundamentally, like I was on board with the game that they were making back in 2013, and I don't think it's the same game. And um, I'm not sure it's the same set of i don't i don't think it's the same principles that are making those decisions um, but i really really hope i'm proved wrong so you don't think that fleet carriers are going to include storage capacity uh, i don't know i've got no idea there, there are there are things that frontier have held out on um so so when elite was can when a comment from david braben is really telling and he made this comment in about 2012 or during the kickstarter and it was something like um it was something like the original Elite. It, it's always I've always felt that that the original Elite game in 1984 would have made sense as an online game. It would it would make sense for some of the other players to be piloted by other people. That is a really important quote to keep in mind because that explains the mindset behind Elite Dangerous. This was not conceived as a massively multiplayer online game of guilds and um, uh, warring over territory. This was conceived as essentially. As a, as, a, as, a, as a shared single-player experience that happened to be multiplayer in a limited and fairly unreliable way. Um, and th that way of thinking about the game explains a lot of design decisions. It explains why you can't store commodities. It explains why you can't transfer credits to each other. It, can, it, it explains why the squadron system is limited. It explains why power play doesn't, ha doesn't have guild features. Um, and, um, and the development of Elite Dangerous can kind of, in my view be thought of as a very gradual process of the the devs there at the beginning gradually realized that what they had made was not a um that 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 players were not looking for a um or at least you know a, a large contingent of players were not looking for a shared single player experience they were looking for a fully fledged mmo experience and you can think of the development of elite as a five year process of coming to terms with that and you've seen that from with the, the implementation of different features, um, particularly squadrons being the emblematic example of, of something which is a nod to guild gameplay but doesn't go very far. Um, and there is still reticence to accept the fact that we've got an MMO on our hands. Um, and I think one day we will have things like direct transfers of credits between players, um, commodity storage and trading, and that kind of thing. But I don't think that day is here. Um, it could be that this year is the, is, is the year that will change and we'll get commodity storage with, um, with fleet carriers. So I, I, I could be proven wrong. It would be another step on the trajectory upon which we've been moving for several years, I think. So I, I kind of feel like you're right, that this is baby steps along the way and that 
that's why fleet carriers will have storage because it is sort of the baby step slash six month long open beta for how storage is going to work before they get around to implementing them in bases, you know, planet side bases or whatever that we're going to get with the 2020 paid update that everyone seems to be speculating is coming. Yes. Um, yeah. I agree but with, that. with regard to stuff like the, the transfer of credits, direct transfer of credits or a true quote unquote player market economy. I think they're holding off on that quite rightly and quite sort of uh, prudently because as long as so much of this game is on a peer-to-peer system as opposed to uh, the information being locked down on their servers that they can control, there's just a lot of opportunities to sort of game that system and to break it and to hack it and to, you know, just really set things off kettle. Yeah. Yeah, totally, totally agree with that. The um uh I think that the there it is a they're not mutually exclusive, but they're mutually incompatible. Um a shared single experience based on immersion is not necessarily ha- a happy bedfellow with a um uh with a a sort of conflict-based MMO. Um, and the tensions between those two ideals of what the game could and should be drive a lot of the dialogue around Elite Dangerous. Um, I think settling into one of those two roles would be useful. I, I think No Man's Sky does a really, really of being a, um, a shared single-player experience with, um, with MMO character, with, with, with multiplayer characteristics. So in, in No Man's Sky, there is essentially no PvP. It is impossible to damage another player's assets unless they have opted, for, unless they say that you can. Um, it, you know, dropping in and out of each other's games is effortless, but it is a decision. Um, and um, and it, is, it is perfectly playable and enjoyable in either mode. Uh, but No Man's Sky is a game that has fully committed to that model. Uh, Elite Dangerous is, is, isn't there. It, it sort of, there's a shit or get off the pot mentality to um, sort of to, to how I view it. Like, you know, sort of make a decision either way. Um, and um, there's a, a YouTuber that I, um, that, whose videos I really like called them um, uh, Mandalore, I think. And he, um, he, he, when he did a review of Elite Dangerous, he, he'd come from the Eve, uh, from Eve Online. Eve Online is a game which is fully 100% opposite to No Man's Sky. It has said, <laughs> screw a shared single-player experience. What we are building is an absolute, pure, committed multiplayer MMO. Like that, you know, that is, that's what we're building. And, and you know, we are committed to everything that comes with that. To, you know, transfers of assets between players, dynamic moving alliances, betrayals, like total player-generated conflict, completely dynamic um, uh, sort of alliance and warfare system. Um, and um, and, a, and, a, and a hands-off approach to narrative that that lets players kind of drive drive it themselves. Um, and um, uh, and both of those games, No Man's Sky and Eve Online, both have their their problems. Um, but they are they are good examples of committing to one of those two archetypes. And uh, and Mandalore's point, he, he'd come from um, Eve Online, and he was like, "Cool, another space game, another space MMO. Let's do it." <laughs> and he and he and a a, a friend went mining um, in multi crew and. Um, and they came back, and they'd spent three or four hours. They'd made a, a bit of money. They'd had a load of fun, and one of them was carrying all the stuff. 
and uh, and and he was like, "Cool, I'll go sell it all, I'll, and um, and I'll come back and and we'll share the spoils." Um, and uh, he came back, and only when he'd got back did he realize that um, uh, only only when he'd got back from selling the they, they weren't in two ships there, and one only when they'd sold the haul, avoid opals or whatever. Uh, he was like, "Okay, cool, thanks, multi crew buddy. I'll transfer you." Did he realize there was no tra- credit transfer between players, and they were like, <laughs> "What?" You've you've got multi crew. <laughs> We've spent all afternoon doing this, and I get five percent. Are you are you having a giraffe? Um, and that, you know, that and, and he was completely incredulous that something called the Steam page calls it a massively multiplayer online experience. He was absolutely incredulous that something calling itself an MMO would just not have a basic feature like that. And that's kind of what I mean that the elite is kind of trapped between these two stalls of these two archetypes of what what a modern space game could be. Um, and, I, and I think that, um, I hope that 2020 sees a commitment to either one or the other, because I think it would be, I think it would be better. Uh, uh, you know, in case you haven't gathered, my preferences for the, the kind of shared single player experience that, that is sort of, Hello. Um, uh, is um, sort of heavy on immersion, but, um, but I would be happy with, uh, with a commitment to either, really. Well, what do you want out of the 2020 update versus what do you think we'll get? Um, right. Okay. So yeah, I think um, uh, space legs and um, with regard to ideal for 2020. Um, so yeah, basically, basically that. Um, just based on the based on the leaks from sort of March, April last year, and um, uh, and also sort of speculation and, and different design decisions made in the um uh in the sort of last couple of years i think i think it's probably reasonable that'll happen. and i am very pro that i think it will be really really good um in whatever implementation whether it is um whether they start off with it just being very limited or they go for full um full all bells and whistles all at once um i don't know which they'll do they did they did say very early on that they'd do it incrementally um but then a couple of years after that, they said um, that they would go for um, that. They thought that people didn't really like the um, the staggered subscription model for updates, so they'd, they'd do it a future big ones all in one go. Um, so I don't know which it'll be, um, but I'd, I'd really welcome either. What do you guys think? Mm. Well, I think I have to go by the leak. Is that leak? I think we're going to get baseline, yeah, atmosphere worlds. And that's honestly kind of a disappointment to me because uh, I don't know if I want an FPS in my spaceflight game. And uh, uh, it's a little, while, 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 you know, David Braben has always said he likes the idea of being able to, you know, walk around a station and effectively steal someone, other, someone else's ship. And that's a great gameplay mechanic. I think that's cool. But that being said, uh, you know, I picked up Elite because I was more interested in, this, in the flight model of it. And for me to transition from a spaceflight sim, and I know it's not true Newtonian physics, but from a spaceflight sim over to a, you know, Fortnite-style PUBG kind of thing. And I, I like FPS. I, I've, I've, I love FPS games. I really do. I just don't know if I want the two to be mixed together, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Perfect, perfect sense. The idea of getting up to walk around your ship and uh, like, like I'm a big believer. I want the AFMU to, 
to not even be a module anymore. I want way because I want to be able to ha- to hire a crew and then manage the morale of the crew and then they fix your ship. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. I think um, it's it's much maligned, but I think Star Citizen with um, uh, with a game that combines space sim with a first person shooter. Um, if you if you play Star Citizen now, it is significantly more polished than it was two years ago, um, and um, and a lot of the a lot of sort of gameplay features and things that you can do, like salvage and mining and stuff, are, are poorly implemented or not there. But the actual nuts and bolts of fly a spaceship versus get out of your chair and walk around are, are pretty solid. Um, and um, and interestingly, back in 2013, I think it was, I um, Frontier released a. A, a small table because there's loads of speculation at that time. The, the, the Kickstarters were for Elite Dangerous and Star Citizen were um, less than a year apart, I think, and there was mm-hmm. loads of perceived rivalry between the two at the time about like which was going to be, you know, which which was going to be this great new space sim, the one that everybody had been wishing to be made for 20 years, or whatever. Um, and um, and Frontier released a, a table at the time with just two, co- well, three columns, and um, and it was just. Um, it just had uh, features for Elite Dangerous and features for Star Citizen. And, um, and it was like a, a kind of, you know, to answer your questions, this is the differences between the two. Um, and Elite Dangerous was actually more ambitious than Star Citizen, Citizen at that time. Bo- both of them, Star-, Star Citizen was initially a more modest scope. The, um, they had, um, their approach to planetary landings would be to have designated landing spots that would be, um, that would essentially be cutscenes where you approach a planet and then, your ship is brought down to the surface to a spaceport. Um, mm. And those would be the way in which you access planets. It was only after 2015, I think, that Star Citizen broadened its scope and, um, and said, right, we've got all this money now. We're going um, to do freeform approach and atmospheric landings anywhere on the planet. Um, but at that time, back in 2013, the scope for Elite Dangerous was actually broader. You know, the, the Elite Dangerous, they, they were talking, they were saying they're going to do walking around your ship. We're going to do walking around space stations, you know, that in their words, we've, we're planning this from the beginning. We're building this game, the ground up with these features in mind. That's, those were their words. We're designing the ships with the, with the intention of letting you around them. That's how we're designing them. Those were, those were their words. Um, and, um, and they, they envisaged from the beginning, um, free form atmospheric landings and, and approach to all the planets in the game, which, which stars as do. And, and obviously now there's been, um, probably, I think there's been a, a sort of, a reset of expectations around what of, around what's possible with the lead, um, and uh, and Star Citizen's gone the other way. Promise absolutely everything. Um, so in terms of, I think people's stories of um, bolting a first person shooter onto Elite Dangerous are absolutely valid. Um, it is different if you're if you were if, if you followed the Kickstarter videos bought into the hype. Then um, it is a different feeling that you know that this doesn't need to be a a, a perfectly good space sim that they awkwardly bolt Fortnite onto. That that doesn't need to be what it is. If they were telling the truth in 2013 and 2012 that they were building the game from the ground up, they've been planning this for years. It's not yeah. bolting it on. It's just getting it right. And um, and you can get it right. Like the games Pulsar, Lost Colony, and FTL are very very good examples. And to an extent, Star Trek Bridge Crew are very very good examples of how you can distribute. Um, Responsibilities for um, for a, a vessel to or a vehicle to different players and and, and collaborative like spaceship gameplay. Um, Star Citizen is a really really good example of how you can um, 
of how you can seamlessly switch between the two and how and how gameplay for both can work. Um, and Star Citizen's flight model is arguably more complex than Elite's. Um, they have um, their approach to flight assist offers granular, and you can you can modify it in um, and and define exactly how much cor- auto correction you want your thrusters to have. Um, so you could you couldn't argue that Star Citizen is, is simpler in any way. Um, you know, No Man's Sky is a really really good example of how to get uh, procedural planets right. Uh, you can argue that it's a bit cartoony and limited, but it's a it's the, the team of No Man's Sky is a quarter of that of Elite Dangerouses. Um, but in terms of principles, like it's all there, it's all demonstrated. Um, so I, I think when people say like they're they're worried about bolting an FPS onto Elite that would be awkward and wouldn't play well, I think that they I, I would I would say have a bit of faith, watch those early videos, um, remember that this was kind of the intention from the beginning, and um, and fingers crossed. Um, that said, if they, if all that we had was the ability to walk around our ships and to replace the fade to black that we see whenever we get into our SRV with an actual, you know, getting out of the flight seat, walking down to the SRV bay, getting in it, I would love that. You know, as a as somebody who loves immersion, I think that would be brilliant. Um, and I think that we would enjoy like raid based co op gameplay based around Thargoid based raids and that sort of thing. Um, it wouldn't be the implementation implementation I'd want to see, but I think it it would be it would be really really good fun. Um, so I would say to sum up, sort of have a bit of faith. It was um, it is it's more than an afterthought, um, and there's there's been a lot of thinking gone into it, um, and I and I, I hope that we'll be impressed. I certainly agree with that. As far as I, I hope, that's my hope. My fear is Fortnite with Thargoids. My hope, <laughs> my absolute, absolute hope is, you know, from your mouth to God's ears, because uh, like the, if something like Deliver Us the Moon, a little Steam game that uh, Rusty Dog's been playing or something like that, or like what you're talking about with a more sort of immersive in the in the dynamic world feel, the, these are the kind of things like first person shooter stuff I'm not super interested in, but that all of that I could I could definitely deal with. And I think you you asked about, you know, our, our thoughts for what's coming in, in in the update. I think so for part of that, <clears throat> you have to take the leak into consideration. It's so big it, and it's been proven to a certain extent accurate on so many levels. But you have to consider the fact that even if it was accurate, let's say for one moment, let's grant the premise that it was 100% accurate. It was what it claimed to be and it had good information at the time. That was dated information, and you don't yep, know correct. how they may or may not have pivoted since then. And uh, for me, I look at the timetable that they released. Uh, we talked about this uh, last week with Watherspoon. The timetable for their concepts and all the things that they were working on. And you have to really look at that and kind of draw from that too, to kind of say, okay, this is their design philosophy of what they want to achieve. If you take that, like, you know, 50% of that and 50% of the leaks and see like, okay, how, how does this fit in? Obviously their timetable, they're delayed on They're They're back. They're at the point now where they're like a year into their timetable of the stuff that they wanted. Um, but, you know, the design, you bring up the design of, of Star Citizen. So I think that Elite and Star Citizen are two, both two grand designs. Like they're, they're, they're too much. They're, they're, uh, they're, they're, 
we're not ready. <laughs> yeah, well, no. So, okay, there are two different approaches. In, in both cases, they're both overly ambitious. And I love them for it. I'm glad that they're overly ambitious. That's how you, you know, by, by reaching, by stretching, that's how you achieve. But they're overly ambitious. And they had two different mindsets of how they wanted to, to approach it. You know, Star Citizen was making, you know, a, 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 a like a star system, a solar system or whatever of, of like 12 planets or whatever. And they were going to be incredibly bespoke and, and super detailed and highly, you know, involved and, and everything sort of super, super in depth. Elite Dangerous was making, you know, billions of, of, of planets and, and moons and, 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 you know, hundreds of millions of star systems and all these different all these different things and they they're going in two very different directions also in the in terms of their their approach to it where so i feel that elite dangerous was maybe erring a little bit frontier development was maybe erring a little bit too much on the side of release it quick and fix it later and star yeah. citizen was erring way too much on the side of hold back and release it, uh, you know, in the year 2087 when we get it right. And, and and both of them, I believe, have sort of come maybe towards the center in in how they're doing it, where Elite is is sort of saying, okay, we need to sort of slow down our process and, and, and maybe not release things sort of mostly baked. And Star Citizen is saying like, okay, all of these guys that have given us hundreds of millions of dollars are probably going to want a product sometime in one of these decades soon. So like both sides are moving sort of towards the center and, and coming up with it. But you have to look at what they've done so far and, and just tip your hat to, to, to me, to both companies. Okay, fine. But more so, honestly, to Frontier Development and to Elite Dangerous for a stupidly ambitious project by a group of geniuses who have managed to, yes, a little slower than was planned and yes, a little bumpier than was planned, but guess what? No one ever plans for problems. Obviously, everything is slower and bumpier in in its actual uh, creation than it is in its conceptualization. But they have managed to put out something to me. Uh, uh, this is the first time I know of ever of someone putting out uh, of our species of our entire her Earth's history putting out a one to one recreation of the galaxy that is as accurate as we can make it and that is adjusted as we find new facts for the purpose of a simulation and it's this is the kind of thing it's so ambitious in its scope this is the kind of thing that i would have thought darpa or you know the military with its billions and trillions of dollars of you know black budgets was was doing but no this is the little company in england that's making a game for space nerds to go pew pew <laughs> yeah, it's 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 pretty yeah, it's pretty amazing. There's there's some really good points in there. I think that something that like I have friends who are engineers who are very firmly takes as long as it takes. Um and I definitely think that designing games is hard and um I don't know anything about them. I don't know how to code. Um but I I I feel I think of game dev as somewhere between somewhere between engineering and art. Um and that sounds pretty complex to me um and um uh and i think that um 
I think that they both games are very, very ambitious. And I think it was possibly premature to say in 2012, guess what? The technology is there now that we can do it. We can do it. We can finally do that thing that we've, that we can finally make these games that we've always wanted to make. Um, and, and let's face it, you know, a fully, a fully completely rendered sci-fi universe that you can live in and, and live out all your Empire Strikes Back dreams in, on is, is that's the goal, isn't it? That's what we want. We want to, um, um, but, um, and, and, you know, arguably we weren't quite there in 2012 and we still aren't. Um, there is another side to it, which is the game dev is hard thing is like, I feel like it could potentially be used as a blank check. Like we're kickstarting this game. You should, you should come and join our Kickstarter and give us 60 quid for a lifetime expansion. Cool. Okay. Um, how long will it take? We don't know. Okay, cool. Um, it'll be soon. It'll be soon. Um, you know, how, how re how, what order of magnitude of time is it reasonable to ask consumers to pay up front for something for, you know, is it going to be ready in five years? We don't know. Game dev is hard. Okay. Is it going to be ready in six years? We don't know. Game dev is hard. Is it going to be ready in 10 years? We don't know. Game dev is hard. Okay. Well, if game dev is hard and you don't know, will it be ready in 50 years? Will it be ready in a hundred years? Like, you know, it's sort of, there's an ad absurdum, um, absurdum argument to be made, which is, you know, there, there is an, there is an ethical argument. There is an ethical angle to, um, taking people's money and then not delivering something for a decade. And, and, and that is nearly where we are. We are a couple, we're a couple of years from it being a full decade that, that, uh, that large sums of money were exchanged with these things. Um, Elite Dangerous has always managed to cover itself um, because, they, um, the, because uh, they, these things were never explicitly promised. Um, and, um, uh, but for me, it's slightly murky because David Braben frequently said that these are things that they are going to do. He unequivocally said, they are going to do, um, but at the time it was very much the, the the when when money was exchanged it was very much this is what you're paying for this is the build this is the released game um, you are paying for this and you will get any subsequent expansions for free. Um, it was not you are prepaying for space legs, um, and that that differentiation is very important. And it there's um, that Frontier have definitely um, and undeniably delivered everything that they. Um, that they set out to so far, um, and uh, I, I, arguing that they've lied or or taken us for a ride is is nonsense. Star Citizen are in slightly muddier ground, I think, because mm-hmm. because there is a you know taking people's money for something, um, and some people have exchanged a lot of money and then not delivering <laughs> a product, <laughs> and then not delivering a product for ten years and or getting on for ten years. You, you there are ethical questions around that. Um, so it's. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a it's a it's a muddy issue, and I think that probably the Kickstarter revolution um, is it's kind of a in in regulatory terms, it's kind of a wild west, and there are lots and lots of horror stories about people not delivering on things. Um, but um, uh, and I think that probably it, in the next time there is a space sim revolution and there is a massive renaissance in um, in this kind of thing with the next sort of generation of technology. I mean, I know we're living. Through that now, but but these things are cyclical, and, and and the next time it wouldn't surprise me if a little bit more circumspection was built into was built into the these early p- pitches of you know expectation management. You know, by by five years you will have an alpha, have these pitches, and if not, be you'll be entitled to X. Um, you know, by seven years you will have X features. It wouldn't surprise me if that was if if that was the way that studios approached Kickstarters and 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 ambitious games in the future. Well, it also wouldn't surprise me if the next renaissance of space games also featured a release 
by David Braben based on his ability to actually output a product in this cycle. Correct. Correct. The, the fact that they the fact that they kicked it and a, a, a game that that fully works and at that point was not too buggy um, was really really good. And um, there is there is Frontier definitely deserve praise for um, for consistently being realistic about their about what they can achieve in certain timeframes and um, and it hasn't always been been perfect. You know, the Horizon series was planned for one year and it ended up taking two. Um, and arguably, design decisions that were made during that time have um, have have left the game in a slightly more tricky place. Like the the fact that the SRV is incompatible with um, multi crew, which is incompatible with wings. Um, you know that that that's a structural design problem that um, that was probably um, probably a misstep. But um, but in general, all the all the features that they have said since the release of the game that they were going to implement, they have done since 2014. Everything they've said they're going to do, they have done. Um, and they haven't, uh, and we're not waiting for anything that they promised. Um, the only things we're waiting for are the things that they said that they um, were going to aim to do during the Kickstarter. And, and we're talking like late game development cycle stuff with those, like space legs and atmospheric landings. Mm, and ice worlds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Comments. That's, that's a good point. That is a very good point. Ice worlds. Yes. Mm. Yeah. I forgot about yeah, that. I, I think let's not forget about have... comments either. So. <laughs> I, I, comments. Yeah. Comments. Oh, comments. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. They're, they're in. They're in the game files, aren't they? They, yeah. they are. Yes. I, yeah, there's I, I, a lot of stuff that is um, that exists technically, and I don't know why we can't see it. Um, the 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 trawlers are another one. The um, the the mm-hmm. megaships that eat asteroids and things. I think mm-hmm. they're. I think their proper term for them is vogons. <laughs> yes. Yes. Ah. The but there's there's a lot of things we can't see, like the trawlers, the comets, racks low. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. okay. All right. I was gonna I was gonna so with regard to my little crack about Ice Worlds though, I I, I have a very high percentage of uh faith that we will be getting some information about them before the end of the year, i.e. getting to actually see them. But uh yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so, I, 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 I did forget about Ice Worlds. I, I, I think I think they're going to be in the 2020 update. A hundred percent, I believe. I believe so. So since since the the host of the show and the the big Mahat has brought up the R word, I'm going to uh, uh, refer to my notes here and looking back to uh, issue eight of uh, of uh, Sagittarius Eye magazine. There was a very very interesting. Um, uh, article on Polaris, the home of the Black Flight, uh, and qu- this was a quote directly from that that article that uh, <clears throat> that there was uh, a reference to a mysterious portal uh, on that on that planet. Uh, and I'm going to ask you because in, in also in that article they they talked about how uh, you know if you really want to get the inside story on Polaris, talk to the engineer Bill Turner because his dad Mick went to Polaris in 3250 for a um, on a mission to sort of scout out the area and to pref- uh, to survey yeah, to survey yeah, yeah. the area. I wrote that so, line, I think. <laughs> so, we know of a quote-unquote portal uh, with some alien artifacts on the planet Polaris. So let me ask you, do you do you think that that is where Raxel is hiding? What could are be. your feelings on that? Yeah, it could be. I think um uh David Braben has said, and I think 
uh, I think this is verbatim, but he has said that um, Raxler is in the game and you can... Um, some people say that it's in the game but not activated, like Cops. Um, if so, that contradicts what David Braven said. Um, I think that Elite, Elite Dangerous is a big enough game that you could hide anything you wanted to. Um, people say that, you know, as soon as as soon as Frontier switch a feature on, it's found within hours. But we've only explored, you know, a fraction of a of a percent of the galaxy. It would be very easy to hide something that like a fixed asset with without a, a probability spawn like Raxler. Um I often wonder how many two thousand and one uh, Space Odyssey monoliths there are dotted around the game because you know <laughs> there's got to be at least one on a moon somewhere like there's got to be um, that nobody's found and um, uh, so yeah I, I think I think Rex was in the game I think it's I think it's I think it's visitable um, I uh, I think that it is if you found it it would be an inert asset with some um, with some blurb attached and I think that the aim for it is that when the game reaches the end of its development cycle. Um, it will it will act as the access point for a brand new procedurally generated galaxy. Um, I would love that. The, the Stellar Forge, the fundaments of the Stellar Forge are um, are replicable. You could you could change the numbers and you could generate an entirely new galaxy. It would it wouldn't be um, it, um, it wouldn't re- require uh, like a creation of a whole new load of art assets or anything like that. It, it really would be just spinning the wheel again. Um, and um, and there would need to be an entry point to the new galaxy um a new galaxy would be the perfect way to to put the game into maintenance mode because it would give players enough content to keep them busy for years um and law wise raxler is a portal uh, both the key and the door it is it is the portal to other to other planes or whatever um and um and in the very early days frontier talked about elite having a really really long history and be supported for years and years and years and things so if, if i was if i were the devs i would keep the the crown jewels of law Raxler is I would keep it as um, I would keep I would hold it back until you were absolutely done adding new content and features to the game and you were ready to put it into maintenance mode and that would be your send off I would say right okay let's let's drop some hints as to where it is and let's let's flick the switch to make it into to make it active and uh, and make it as the the hyperspace conduit to an entirely new stellar forge generated galaxy um, uh, I don't. Um, I don't know where it is. I'm not sure it's in Polaris. It, it might be in Polaris if the um, if the permit is accessible to Polaris in some way. But we haven't yet found a way to get the permit to Polaris, um, which means and uh, which means that um, if it, if it's impossible to get the permit, then it means that David Braben was not David Braben was not telling the truth when he says it's accessible. So there must be to, for for it to be Polaris and for that quote from David Braben to be correct, there must be a way to get the Polaris. Um, permit but i don't know if anybody's found that yet so yeah i think it's as good as it's as good a quote as any these um, there are that some couple of people have done some maths as to going through the law and um deciding how f- and and using sources in law to gauge how far um from from sol it could be and um some people whose opinions i think are probably pretty robust reckon that it can't be that far away and polaris is pretty local as far as space goes so yeah it's as good a bet as any i reckon I, I'm I'm noticing that Polaris is uh, pretty much uh, you know in the lore and in, in the story of that you know it was it was the Alliance that had sent out uh, Mick Turner to to uh, you know survey that area and I'm I'm noticing that the only uh, major faction that we don't have 
uh, a whole lot of uh, faction unlocked, like rank unlocked mm. systems for is in fact the alliance. And I'm starting to wonder. Uh, so, so with regard <laughs> to your with regard to your assertion, I'm I don't know of that quote of David Braben. The the one quote that I I do know explicitly of, and I, I literally have it on video uh, in a in a channel with my notes on the subject is he said, "It is in the game, and we (parentheses Frontier Development) close parentheses know where it is." Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I so don't I, I, remember that ever including the line and it is accessible, which is interesting. If that's I'm, true, I'm that's true. But there have been reference to it. There have been several things. Um, so annoyingly, I have lots of facets and, and I, I, I remember lots of quotes from, from devs, which I later can't attribute, which get me in trouble. Um, but I am, um, and I can't remember where it was. I'm pretty sure it was an AMA on Reddit. Um, but it was, it was something over the last five years in the bowels of the internet somewhere, I am 85% sure there is a quote from David Braben that says it is in-game and it is, ex- it is accessible. Um, well, listeners, I'm afraid look I don't. for that. <laughs> yeah, listeners, I'm afraid look, I don't for that and look for that and post it in here for us. Um, yeah, that's, that, that would be super, super interesting. And so then that brings up another question. What if, what if it is in Polaris or another one of the permit lock systems and that's why no one's found it, but the, the issue isn't so much that it's not accessible. It's that no one's just figured out yet how to obtain that permit. Yeah, correct. I reckon that's it. And there are ways that you, there are ways that you could fudge that. You could make it so, you could make the puzzle so ridiculously um, impossibly hard, and that it would require an incredible um, sort of coincidence of of assumption and um, and deduction to figure it out. Um, the difference between very very hard and impossible is very, very large when you're dealing with lots and lots and lots of very clever players. Um, but um, I, think it would be, I think it would be possible to create a puzzle that's so difficult that, um, that they could reliably, um, that, they, that, that they could reasonably expect that no player would find it until they started dropping hints. I love your idea. Uh, and I literally, I was having a conversation with Ty just, I think, two days ago, where I more or less said, if what I would love for Raxla to be is is something that we could find tomorrow. Like it's Raxla's just there. It is in game. It is a planet. You go there and there's, you know, a big ass Stargate there that's big enough that you could fly a cutter through, but it's turned off. And when you get to Raxla, you're like, ah, I've solved the mystery, only to find out that you've started a whole other chase of now, like, okay, there's a Stargate here. It's turned off okay, now we have to go find a, a, some way, some power source, and we have to figure out some way to decode. Like there's a mile down the road, there's some ancient weird monolith and some ruins, and there's a puzzle there. And, and you know, send us all over the galaxy in eight different directions to find the power source, find a way to decode the, the instructions on how to work it, find all this different stuff. I would love for the mystery of Raxla to be solved and yet just beginning at the same time of like, okay, there it is. But now here's the, there's a trail of breadcrumbs. Let's take this. And exactly as you say, save the final, final unlock. Even if there's 10 rounds or 15 rounds or a thousand rounds of unlocks, save the final unlock for when they're ready for some grand expansion or whatever. And then say, okay, now here it is. Go do it. Yeah, exactly. 
exactly. I, re- I reckon it would be it would be pretty smart to do that. It would be it would be good good game design, I reckon, to set it up like that. What are you I'm doing, doing a bit of um, I'm doing a bit of googling, and I can't find an attribution for my quote is accessible, um, which is really annoying. I, I can I can picture his his uh, his lovable face saying the words <laughs> "it is accessible" by players, um, and he was smiling modestly while he said it. But um, but I can't remember the source, um, so uh, so I'm sorry about that. What do you think is uh, and, and and I don't want to be like because I do really like FDev. And and what they do, um, I don't agree with everything they've done, of course. But uh, what do you think is their biggest mistake in this game? Oh, um, that's a good question. I think I'm not sure. I think that I think there are there are a few things that are that are howlers. I reckon. I think that uh, I think that designing um, multi-crew in such a way that it won't work with wings or the SRV um, was a very bad decision. Um, I think that um, because you know wings and multi-crew should dovetail together. Um, hey, let's all play together. Oh, I'm in the wrong multi-crew. Aren't together? Um, I think that. Um, I think that implementing power play uh, without recognizing that players want guild gameplay was a mistake. Um, a big one. I think implementing, um, I think implementing CQC without a proper, without useful proper matchmaking uh, was a, a significant mistake. I think the general trend t- towards let's tick it off the feature, let, let's put put the skeleton in, and so we can tick it off the feature list. And then worry about optimization and UI if players use it is a is a bad approach because it means that Elite has at least three big headline features that don't really work and nobody uses. Um, so, but th- those are three different mistakes. That's that's not one one single mistake. Um, for me personally, I think probably the one that impacts me the most is um, let me think. Probably I I'm not a power player, but I I really feel like. Um, late stage PvP should be confined to power play. The, the Elite Dangerous does need a big, dynamic, late game PvP focused um, sort of uh, war, like um, conflict stage, which gives advanced uh, late game players a reason to keep playing and a reason to perfect their technique and 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 engineer their ships. And power play is. Is the natural home for that? You know, it's a giant game of risk played out across the stars. The fact that it doesn't, the fact that it's so easy to break and doesn't work properly, um, and doesn't actually include direct PvP at all, is um, is a design mistake. I think elite, a lot of MMOs have a have a late stage end game aspect to them, which works really well. The, the, the example I often think of is um, Cyrodiil in uh, the Elder Scrolls Online, which acts as the late game PvP arena. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, a you know, and that is a, a real dynamic flick that um, that that um, that players can group together and, and achieve goals that they can't on their own. Um, Elite Dangerous needs something like that. They need something for for people to aspire to to get into sort of late in their careers. And I think that the fact that power play doesn't work is is a design is a it's probably the biggest design decision of them all because it denies the game that feature. I would love to see. 
a push into saying things like, uh, okay, solo play is still there. And I, I definitely understand that since they pulled back on the concept of offline mode and that generated so much negative uh, response that they have to they have to keep solo mode. And I, I, I get that. But I would love so much to see only influence can be obtained influence can only be obtained rather in on uh, uh, open mode uh yeah, so that bgs cannot be manipulated in in solo uh I, I i would love to see uh greater rewards i would love to see the whole game structured such that if you do a mission and it pays x amount of credits in solo mode that same mission pays 2x credits in open correct um, to try to sort of filter more people into a shared experience i would love to see uh <clears throat> the cops sort of much quicker to respond to protect you if you get ganked yeah in yeah, yeah. completely in, you know nearer to stations uh, and powers and in the bubbles whereas the cops are completely you know in an anarchy system or whatever okay you have no no safety whatsoever like you feel like you're outside the wire you feel 100% more in a danger state but that there are certain minerals or certain uh resources that are either only obtainable or more readily obtainable out in those anarchy areas that would provide an incentive for people to venture out like when they're ready they can start in more relative safety much like eve you start you know in high sec then you move to low sec and then you move out into null sec and you're out of the safety area and and you have a, a more player controlled more dynamic more sort of uh just sandboxy feel to it yeah, completely, completely agree. I think um, this goes back to the, the the conflict between shared single player experience versus MMO that we talked. Um, something one thing that Eve gets right is that high sec space, high security space is um, is where you go if you don't want to get ganked, and null sec or or low security is where you go if you want PV like emergent PvP. Um, Elite dangerous at the moment. The the most dangerous places to go in the game are ostensibly the most developed. Um, sort of central places. So Shinrata Desera, um, the the site of a CG, uh, the engineer bases. The, these are the most dangerous places in the game because they are where all the players go. Um, the, crime and, the crime and punishment response is too weak, which means that regardless of the security state setting of the, the, the security status of a um, system, if it's where all the players are, you will get ganked. Um, that's wrong. The way to do it is so that is is make high security space, um, make the ATR response so so thorough, like so so um, fierce that um, that you it that you can't really gank in it, and if you gank, it's basically suicide, um, and that would mean that high security felt like high security. You know, we don't a, a good good game design doesn't. You don't need to. Uh, I say that like I'm a game designer. I'm not. I don't know. Um, but my instinct is that. That you don't want to ban um, PvP, and you cer- and you, you certainly don't want to ban PvP, and you and you don't want to discourage it. It's good, and you don't want to, and you don't even want to make it so that griefers can't exist. You you don't want to prohibit their existence, but you want to make sure that the game is incentivized and structured as such, 
that if a player flies into low security space, um, they should be aware that there is a that that they're much less safe, and that they should feel that. And if you're a player that wants to gank people, you should gravitate towards low security space or anarchy space because you know that it's not going to be viable in high security. Um, that's a that's another major blunder for them. not getting the crime and punishment response right is a is a major blunder. And it, you know these things are achievable. Other games do them. When people say like, oh, well, you know, game dev's hard. Like other games get it right. There are there are archetypes out there to copy. I I, I, I really don't ahead. like the I really don't like the the phrase because there's a bunch of just like you said there's a bunch of gamers, um, that are doing it well are doing different aspects well you know you know power play is a good example of like all they have to do to make power play a little bit better is tweak some numbers yeah yeah and it it feels like they could bring in they could go and hire or just contract somebody from like the sid myers team and say hey help us fix this yeah all they have to and and this seems like something they could do in like a month and just tweak up some numbers to get it right and then it would make such a huge sweeping change to the game as a whole and then also take out the ability to affect power play in anything but open and then you instantly have this pvp environment where it's it's wonderful. It's you have this high-end PvP environment that only certain people can participate in because you're doing it for your faction, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. And it, it seems like this seems like such a small thing to change that would have a large sweeping effect. And then people who are early in the game you can still play an open. You can still do these things. You can still pledge to a faction. But you you are when you pledge to a faction, you are running. You are basically flagging yourself for PvP. You are flagging yourself that you are a target now. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. It, P- PVP has a there's, there's an absolute. Um, they have a very much like a make your own fun thing, and 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 those guys, they they don't feel that they're supported. There are no there are no FDEV organized events for PVP. There um, the, there are uh, the patch notes that change um, things to do with weapon balancing. They're frequently not consulted about and frequently make sense. Um, the PVP is 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 discouraged by the game mechanics in that there's no reward for it. Um, and even though it is permitted in a bad way in terms of um, it's not discouraged enough in some parts of, in some parts of the map, um, like in high security space, for example, um, the natural home of PvP in, in a game like Elite Dangerous is, um, is either through legitimate piracy, which needs an overhaul, or um, power play, or a power play equivalent, like late stage direct player conflict over high stakes for, for big rewards, like star systems and and stations and influence and, and territory and stuff um the um uh the the fact that there are lots of good things to, to power play you can there are lots of ways that you can interact with it the um uh but it doesn't they they most of them seem to boil down to shooting stuff or hauling stuff um which is which is t- it's you know that's that's the nuts and bolts of what elites made of shooting stuff and holding stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's a lot of gameplay in elite that doesn't contribute to power play. That there's no reason that it couldn't. You know why why can't missions contribute? Um, and um, and you know there should there should be a place in it for um, if you're a high stage if if you're a like a veteran PvP, um, you could be part of your first line defense for your power. If you're a hauler or an explorer, there should be things that there should be ways for you to contribute as well. Um, so I would, even though I'm not a power player and I've only dipped my toe in it, I've spoken a lot to those guys. The the um, 
and 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 yeah, I, I really to, to, just to sum that up, I really feel like it's a um, it's a, a design feature, a, a working des- power play equivalent is something that Elite Dangerous would be greatly benefited by. Um, the fundamental problem with power play is not. It, I'm not sure everybody knows this. Um, but we did a we did a, a sort of investigative piece um, about power play and why why it's not perceived to be a great success. And we spoke to all the powers, and the the single most consistent message that we got is that um, the incentives are arranged so that the single most effective way to um, boost your chosen power in power play is to pledge to the other one. Mm-hmm. And work against it from within. That is a that is a question of incentives and perverse incentives. You know, good game design is the best way to to affect the change you want to see is to directly work towards that change. Um, and um, so, you know, for for BGS gameplay, if you want to win a station, the best way to do it is to to win a war against the faction controller. That's that's logical. That that works. Um, in power play, it is it is a failure of game design that the most effective way to achieve your goal is to pledge to the to pledge to a power you wish to undermine from within. Um, so I, I don't I'm not sure how easy it would be in terms of just tweaking some numbers. There is a fundamental game design problem, which is a question of incentives. The game the power play needs to be redes well not completely redesigned from the ground up, but it, but the incentives and the efficacy of actions needs to be changed so that the most effective way to make Grom the the winner or the or the have the most territory is to pledge to Grom. That is that's the fundamental thing because the biggest problem in power play is that all the powers, every single one, with no exceptions, have giant groups of itinerant um, bot and rogue commanders that work against them from within just to troll people, um, and it completely pisses in the paddling pool for everybody else, um, and um, and that's why it's not regarded as a as a great success, and that's why talking to the power players makes you <laughs> makes you quite depressed sometimes about the state of the game. <laughs> you know, but, I've, uh, I've I've actually listened to that episode twice. Um, that was the one where you had like all the different people from all the like all the faction leaders that represent or all the groups from the faction leaders that represent those factions is on and you were kind of going through and ah, that was I had never the only thing I'd ever done in power play was go get prismatics when I was still in a like a vulture and that was way back in the day hmm. I mean I've been a vulture but it was a it was a minute and it just I was never interested in it beyond the modules. And I listened to that episode, it really opened my eyes to see that this is a really broken system. Yeah. And it from the outside looking in, it seems like a little bit of work could be done to make a big change. And it you know, you know, I asked you earlier what was the what was the biggest failure? I think power plays their biggest failure, because I feel like there was a lot of work there that they put in and then it it feels like it's just a miss and it feels like we're done with this one back to it and yeah. i really wish they would you know yeah that, that, i i agree with that it, it's um in terms of people might say like oh you know why why is power play the biggest failure that's that's ridiculous like surely surely it's any other of these things that that we want to do more um the thing about the failure of power play is not that um is not necessarily for that feature it's more a fundamental thing about the structure of mmos which is that it is good to have end game content that works um, and that it is good to have organized and encouraged PvP. Um, Elite Dangerous doesn't have that, and Power Play should be that. So it's more about a, it's it's more a fundamental point about the design of games rather than 
power play itself. But I definitely agree with you. I think the biggest misstep is that it doesn't work. And actually, interestingly, the I think if you look at the the, implement, the implementation of power play originally, there was no in-game way to organize. There was no way to speak to other pledged commanders. There was no way to um, uh, to form recognized alliances or guilds. There was no way to um, there was no way to, to directly affect the the actions of your chosen power. You couldn't say, right, okay, we are going to take that system. We are going to we are we are going to make these decisions and prioritize these things. The the structure of it, both narratively and mechanically, is and has always been: these are the big movers and shakers in the galaxy. You can do odd job. You can do odd jobs for them to support their goals. It was not. You can band together as a guild and make yourself. Players have rec- players have, have have kind of jerry rigged that for themselves um, awkwardly. And um, you know the absolute ideal for a late stage territory based um, PvP sort of environment would be a dynamic, constantly evolving um, system in which players choose their own alliances dynamically. They choose. Um, they, they they fight they, they they win their own territory they choose directly what they're going to um what they're going to prioritize um they um they can knock each other they can knock to, um uh they can sort of knock people out of the the roster of powers so you know if somebody gets mullered and loses all the territory no longer exist um and also to, to allow the dynamic creation of new powers because what we have now is you know using Using organized action outside of the game, players have found a way to make direct decisions. So they they can say like, okay, we're going to go for this expansion, we're going to take this system and this sphere. Um, they can do that now, but it's not supported by the game. There's no way to coordinate with other players to do that in the game. You've got to use Discord. You've got to go outside the game and organize outside it. Um, and um, arguably, you, c- you can now through squadrons, but you couldn't for most of the power play. Um, and um, also, you've got the problem of zombie powers, like. Um, uh, the first one was uh, Archon Delane, I think. The second one was Torval fairly recently. But you have powers which are completely and totally mullered, totally abandoned by their um, by their players, and whose whose pledges are more sabotage, more saboteurs than than legitimate players. Um, those those powers are still there. They don't disappear. You know, if a power if a power collapses to that extent, they should disappear and be by a new. one. Um, they should be replaced by the biggest BGS group. That should be the way it works. It should be dynamic. It should be devs flicking a switch. It should be like, oh, you know, they've they've lost their last system, or they've, you know, some other um, defeat condition has been met. Um, and the fact that and Frontier did say in 2015 that that Powerplay would have a um, a collapse mechanic, and uh, and then we never heard anything about the game. Um, and the fact that there's no collapse mechanic means that one, there's no there's no real long term lasting penalty for failure and there's and there isn't really a an incentive for consistent dominance you know like it's still going to be the same 11 names you know if everybody quit grom tomorrow and it was completely overrun by um by saboteurs you'd still have this grom would still be ostensibly one of the most powerful people in the galaxy in 10 years time you know that's not that that, that it's, it sort of fails slightly narratively and mechanically mm. yeah so Okay, I've heard both of you with regard to your criticisms of of those issues. And let me say that while, number one, I agree with both of you 100%, uh, power play, definitely, I would like to get some love. I would like to get some, uh, definitely, more especially to deal with the, the, primarily to deal with the, uh, what's what's the, there's there's a word for it, I forget, not infiltration, uh, where they work against you, the the sabotage. I would like yeah. to 
to deal with the sabotage of power play. <clears throat> and, and also, as you said, a more dynamic filtering sort of real world uh, ability to how that works. And with regard to, to things like, uh, you know, the high sec, null sec, like, I, like the idea that I had suggested, I would love to see them put emphasis on this and that and, and, and several aspects of the game. Hmm. I don't want to lose sight of the fact that all of those things don't exist because FDev is stupid. They don't exist because Frontier Development lacks the intelligence to see, like, okay, this is obviously whatever. I I feel they exist because it's just not where they're focusing at the moment. They're focusing on a dynamic one-to-one creation recreation of the galaxy and all of the things that you can do with that so while i hope that in the next sort of phase of the game in the next starting you know in this year and 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 notably with the 2020 paid update and and going forward while i hope that the game matures and that these some of these various other aspects of the game mature and become sort of more full-fledged dynamic and and uh areas that make people very very happy i don't want to lose sight of the fact that 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 we got here off of a brilliant engine as you said that that when when your friend the thing that got you into the game to begin with it was a binary star system and they're they're you know uh revolving they're 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 i'm having a moment they're uh, uh <laughs> the way you rotate around something of them rotate, yeah rotating uh, 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 they're orbiting there jesus <laughs> they're, they're orbiting each other in such a brilliant way and there's so much of this game that is like that i love about this game the fact that the universe just is the universe and it doesn't give two shits about you. This star is doing what it's doing and, and these planets are doing what they're doing and they just are and make yeah. something of that. And I feel like the brilliance of David Braben is he is just creating this. Um, uh, he's just creating this sort of system and he's building it like a mad genius and it's just like this is this is sort of his playground that we all kind of get to peek into and 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 we all get to you know we all get to see and so for me um i have a, a lot of hope that <clears throat> this is i think the most brilliant engine ever that they built the, the, the skeleton of a system on and that a lot of these different aspects, when you look at Eve, yes, the government system, the, the, you know, high sec, low sec, null sec and crime and punishment. And, and <clears throat> the fact that you can go and loot, you know, it's full loot. So you can kill somebody and loot them and take their stuff. And, and the, the, the player economy, all of those things are better than elite dangerous because that's what that whole game is built on that's where they shown all of their spotlight on that's where they put all of their development dollars on so of course they did a better job of making that aspect of it but it's on a fake 
just they threw out a wall of stars and said, okay, now build stations, put stuff wherever you want. And and the flight mechanics are you're, you're basically flying spreadsheets in that game. And and it's not, I mean, I had some fun in a rifter back in the day, and I would have some fun in a stealth bomber and you know, my little manticore or whatever, but it just did not hold a candle to the beauty and grandeur that is Elite Dangerous, that is the universe that we get to play in every day. And I never want to lose sight of the fact that it's like, this is just the most beautiful playground. And the fact that some people are uh, pointing out quite rightly, like, hey, I wish it had you know, a set of monkey bars, or I wish I had a slide over there. And the cool fact that other people are quite sort of like a spoiled little brat, like, you know, getting overly critical and like, just, just venomously sort of whatever about like, I don't have this jungle gym that I want or whatever over here. It's like, okay. Yeah. I, I, I agree with the, 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 the criticism. I disagree with the venom. Uh, this is going to continue to grow and expand and hopefully where we get is going to be, you know, I, I just where we're starting from the, the, the engine that this is built on it to me just every day blows my mind. And, and so I'm thankful for that and hopeful for now, once you have this universe and you have this set up, now let's start to look at these aspects of power play or these aspects of, you know, how you can make this, the BGS already is amazing. And it does so much stuff. I remember there was a, a thing where they said in one of the um, Lave cons, they interviewed the guy and he, the, he was talking about that he was surprised that some of the stuff, the BGS is doing things that they weren't intending for it to be able to do, but it just did it on its own. And, uh, you know, so yeah, I feel like, they have the key pieces and we are like no time in the history of the gaming universe. Have we ever had in the history of the earth? Have we ever had a skeleton, this sort of intricately beautiful and perfect to build upon to then refine these features of, of uh, power play or, you know, piracy or, you know, a, a sort of more thoughtful, fleshed out, fully way to integrate PvP into the rest of the game. Totally agree. Totally, totally agree. I think, I think, um, I think the key take, the key thing for me there is that there's Elite Dangerous is the single most ambitious and um, and uh, sort of framework and and has the highest potential of um, have of any uh, game yet made for realizing a lot of dream like most mmos they have a static map that is and the map is measurable in miles and the um and the, and the game has x levels of complexity um and that you can um you know that you have different weapon systems and upgrades and and like you might have a property system with ownership and that sort of thing elite dangerous has um has the micro like brilliant simulation of the micro all the way up to like really macro stuff um I, it amazes me that like i said to a friend the other day that there are not very many games where spend their saturday evening speed bowling going as fast as they can in their in their spaceship um so that they can reach super crude speeds in normal space and another person might spend their evening 
um, basically writing spreadsheets and planning dominations of star systems. Like the, you know, the, the 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 change from the micro to the macro is is, re- is amazing, and and the fact that it's in it's in it's accommodated by one engine is is really is really really brilliant. So I think um, I think the the reason that I love Elite is is certainly because it has the potential to be uh, to be a much more it has the potential to be everything really um, like all the um, uh, like not everything exactly but um, but the sort of the game of people's dreams I suppose um, it, and potential is a, is a word that a lot of people still use about Elite if you watch YouTube videos about um, about uh, from YouTubers whose whose main metier is not Elite Dangerous thing that they often say about so much potential and it's funny that um, that that's still being said five years on actually <laughs> For sure, man. For sure. So, okay. I know that you're, we're going to have to let you go soon. So I want to wrap it up with a couple of sort of pointed questions coming back to uh, Sagittarius Eye. Cool. Yeah, we haven't spoken much about, <laughs> about the magazines. <laughs> yeah, we just, I, I do it honestly, and that's my fault because I could, I could talk to you for 10 hours and, and not get around to all of it. So, um, so, okay. In, 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 Sagittarius I has a series of articles uh, detailing sort of the history of the Thargoids and 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 that aspect of it. So let's let's get into that a little bit. So Galcop's first records of Thargoid encounters date back to 2810, with abductions going back to 3120s. And Inra eventually found a crash ship with audio logs. Uh, and then, so there's there's questions with the club and all of all of that involved, and and then sort of there's this jump in time where it's sketchy. We don't really know any other details until the rumored, uh, not exactly locked down in a time period, but there was a time when the alliance were have said to have tried to make an, a a a a well alliance with the Thargoids and that Inra was trying to block it or what, what have you in your Mm. series of articles on that and, and the Thargoids as a, as a greater sort of storyline or whatever, can you tell us just, just your thoughts on any of that, your theories, if any you have, or any, any things that you guys encountered in your research? Sure. Okay. The, um, so I'm not an, I'm not an exhaustive source of knowledge on the Thargoids. I've read the elite dangerous officials novels. Um, and, um, and we did quite a lot of research for those articles, but um, uh, I um, I don't have many theories myself. I have I have instincts based on common sense and knowledge of how frontier treat narrative and gameplay. Um, if I was a game designer and I was um, uh, and I was sort of going to try and I was creating an alien antagonist for an MMO, there are certain decisions I would make. Um, I I would not have a, a I would not have a superpower that many, many players identify with and fly under the flag under, um, secretly being in league with um, with the alien antagonist, for example. Um, you kind of need the big bad to remain the big bad. Uh, I think that we need to. I think we need to take a pinch of salt uh, with a pinch of salt. A few things. So um, I don't have a source for it, uh, but I am. 80% sure that Michael Brooks said in about 2016 or late 2015 that we should consider um, that we should not consider any of the previous um, any of the um, the previous games uh, 
like things like the dark wheel as law and that what we should consider as law is the um uh, is one particular ending of frontier first encounters um the uh i can't remember which ending that was it was the it was the ending the in which died. it was yeah it was the the sorry to interrupt but it was they wanted us to take as lore the the ending where you deliver the mycoid virus and and that's subsequently at the Jameson crash site you found that he delivered it. Correct. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, sorry, yeah, it didn't it didn't take place in the game, did it? Yeah, the mic yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um so um I would take with a pinch of salt the club. Um the club is uh the premonition and the Elite Dangerous novels have always had a uh a slightly tangential and kind of half supported relationship with the game they are ostensibly a, they are ostensibly official but they contain a lot of inconsistencies um and uh and they were written a long time before frontier were, had committed to um things like the game design around the thigh for example um i mean there's a notable scene in i think it's premonition it might be might be a reclamation in which um one of the characters destroys a load of Thargoid interceptors with his multi-cannons. Like, you, can't, you know, you can't do that with regular... Um, the, uh, the club is... Uh, there is no supporting evidence for the club in the game. There is no supporting evidence that the club exists anywhere in Elite Dangerous. It's not mentioned in the Codex, it's not alluded to in Galnet, it's not... It's nowhere. Um, I... Uh, Frontier are all human, and... Um, it wouldn't surprise me if there was a sl- if there were elements of yeah why not when it comes to what was approved for the narratives of the novel, um, and actually you know you you could forgive Frontier for saying yeah sure work a narrative and over our group of supervillains into your novel that's fine you know only X percent of our players are going to read it it's 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 un- you know we don't need to be bound by that um, and they certainly have not Frontier have certainly not shown any demonstration have not demonstrated that they want to be bound by official law. By the official novels, sorry, so far, you know they, they've not feel they, they, they've obviously not felt constrained by by um, by conventions set by the novels. Um, so I don't think uh, I think that people are a little bit excitable to um, spotting the influence of the club in the game. You know, great for roleplay, power to you, but um, wait for a bit of supporting evidence actually in the game before assuming that the club are behind things. Um, and there's another um, there's another point which is people people view canon as a as a really binary thing things are either canon or they're not um i think quite a lot of things that should be canon because they have been published by they've been published in the game are um have 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 not necessarily that's not happened because a law master thought yes this is the next step in my grand plan um for example all the galnet stories about um President Halsey being picked up by the the unseen the unseen caretakers of the galaxy, um, and um, and you know older than time itself, or whatever they're called, uh, uh, whatever she called, she refers to them as, and and then um, the ship engineer who um, who stole a sharp starship and 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 saw similar visions to Halsey, and everyone was like, oh my god, it's um, correct, it was the same thing. Um, whoever wrote that probably had a great time. It's a it's a brilliant piece of law and absolutely like fuck me that sounds so much fun um and uh my bet is that if that is if that's supported by the central narrative team at at frontier then what those unseen caretakers were were the um the sentient machines that wiped out the guardian um 
that would that would make sense narratively. Uh, however, the um, Ian Dingwall, the the lead writer at Elite, um, said last year that when they abolished the um, the fluff pieces in Galnet, that um, basically the fluff pieces had just been fluff pieces, and that players were deluding themselves when they were um, when they were rushing off to find evidence for mysteries that those fluff pieces hinted at. Um, so I think that people need to, I think people need to um, remember that uh, not everything, not all the law, uh, is consistent, and and the official novels are are entertainment, not necessarily, um, not necessarily a firm uh, and un- incontrovertible template for the future of the game, um, and that you should generally base your theories upon what is actually in the game in the codex right now so while i take on board everything you say and agree wholeheartedly with it i'm going to offer a counterpoint which is uh going back to one of my all-time favorites babylon 5 when the uh when the guy comes through and he's searching for the holy grail and the membaris come out to meet him and show him great honor and they it's weird because the humans are all completely baffled. Like this guy's clearly a nut job. He's out yeah. searching for something that he has absolutely no reasonable expectation of being, you know, of expecting to be able to find. And the Mimbaris respond back that, that for them, uh, they give great respect to the seekers of truth, regardless of whether or not it can be found. Yeah. Fair. Go for it. You know, <laughs> I, I I love the I love both of those storylines, and I would love to see something more to to come from them. And with regard to the club, I, I I would just say that if the club actually existed, which I love the whole concept of the idea of the club, I hate the name the club. It's so stupid. Like yeah, it's, it's a lame. sandwich. Super lame. But but like the idea of this shadowy sort of group behind the scenes pulling all the strings is is amazing to me and if they did exist they would make sure that there was no records of them but uh yeah um so all right uh your thought real brief though your thoughts on the thargoids i love them uh as i think the gameplay around the thargoids is brilliant and there's two there's two mistakes that are made with um uh, well, no one one make one design mistake. Uh, that's uh, that's the only thing that's holding the Thargoids back from greatness in terms of gameplay, and that's the fact that the um, the meta is poorly balanced. Um, the, the, the sorry, the, the 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 game is poorly balanced. The if you want to kill Thargoids, the way to do it is put Gauss cannons on your on your on your spaceship and flat cannons. That's the way you go and kill Thargoids. Um, if you want to kill Thargoids, you don't bother with the plasma repeater, or the um, uh, or the the shard cannon, or the um, or the AX multi cannons, or the AX ship. You know, if you want to go role play, if you if you want to go role an AX pilot, sure, strap them on, but you're not going to kill any thargoids with them, um, apart from maybe scouts. Um, the exception to that, obviously, is if you go in with a with loads and loads of players, and you all and you all gank a, an interceptor with shard cannons. That's possible. It's not possible on your own, but it is possible with lots and lots of players. Um, that's a bit of a misstep because a load of decent artists and designers made cool animations and cool artwork for these awesome guns that are now completely ignored. You know, that's 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 a design failing. The, the game should be balanced so much that the there is a rock paper scissors aspect to Thargoid combat, and that all of the gun, all of the all of the weapons are equally viable. Not just everybody uses the Gauss cannon. Um, 
That said, that's my only criticism, and the re- and the rest of it is I I really love the Thargoids. I think they're brilliant. They're they're genuinely alien, genuinely sort of eerie and unnatural and different. Um, we did a piece in Parallel Worlds recently about how the aliens in video games are largely just humanoids. You know, they're, they're um, th- uh, frequently in in film and TV and video games, aliens are portrayed as as just humanoids with with you know, different colored skin or funny eyes or pointy ears or whatever. Um, and, um, and I think Frontier have really thought long and hard, true, true alien life might look like, truly different alien life. Um, and I think that it's one of the most thoughtful, kind of interesting and fun um, sort of forms of an alien, an alien antagonist in any video game. Um, I love the, the the gameplay around it. I think that, that it's genuinely challenging. Um, it's it's like re- it's it's proper boss battle end game stuff, um, and um, and you've got to be on your on your toes. And and I play in VR, and it's just spectacular, so spectacular. Um, and I think that the, the 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 difficulty progression is really good from Scout all the way up to Hydra. Um, I like the fact that there is there's it, there's content still in the game, which is considered very very hard, and only a handful of players have managed to do it, like soloing a, a Hydra. Um, I think it's a, it's a good achievement to have content like that that only a, a, a small royalty of players have, have been able to do. Um, narratively, I think the Thargoids are good. Uh, people complain that the, the, the story doesn't progress and that, um, and that it's all the same and that it doesn't appear to have a direction. I think the story is constrained by the, by the game features. At the moment, before we have space legs and before we have atmospheric landings, there's, there are limited things we can do you know frontier could introduce could introduce thargoid megaships next week they could if they wanted to um the gameplay around those would probably be similar to human megaships you know we can't board them we can't do a first person shooter raids on them um it, it wouldn't be a step change for in, in terms of gameplay um it makes sense to hold some stuff back until we can explore those assets in a different way um likewise the thargoid home world is probably an ammonia world isn't it we can't explore ammonia worlds because we don't have atmospheric landing Therefore, having a great, you know, climactic end of end of saga battle for the Thargoid homeworld doesn't make sense because we can't land on it. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that the Thargoid narrative has kind of slowed to a halt because it. I think we'll see it step up and we'll see we'll see new developments when um, when the gameplay is around to to make those developments interesting. Um, while we're anchored in our ships, space based battles make sense it makes sense to fight incursions and, and conflict zones against interceptors and scouts and that's why we keep seeing that because that's get the gameplay that makes the most sense for the, the game as it stands at the present when we have atmospheric landings and and space legs and you know gas giant interactions and all that sort of thing suddenly we'll start to see different things and and the narrative will evolve to to allow those and you'll see things like um you'll see things like thargoid megaship raids and thargoid home world or factory world raids and and assaults on atmospheric um earth-like worlds and stuff like that um so yeah i think i think they're really good i I think um the other thing to remember is that elite dangerous plays out in real time um and wars generally last a few years and uh wars between civilizations last a long time so the fact that not much has happened for a year or two shouldn't be that like we've had wars on on this planet of ours that have lasted longer than elite dangerous has been around that have that have not had um, developments for several years. Like it's, I, I think that you you will see this stuff. It will come, but um, just be patient. Let me ask you this real quick. Um, 
this is really the last thing I wanted, I, I wanted to ask you. Um, when we talked to the pilot a few months back, um, he brought up a very interesting theory about the 2020 update. And he doesn't necessarily think that Frontier will do it, but I think it's a very interesting idea. And so I'm kind of asking everybody, what do you think the chances are? What do you think about Frontier basically burning the bubble when the 2020 update gets here? And what I mean by that is, is that uh, effectively all the stations and planets would be wiped out by some sort of cataclysm, uh, probably Thargoid related. And in my mind, I'm thinking we're we're getting fleet carriers, which are effectively uh, space stations that players can make. And then we're probably uh, the way if you go by leaks and you go by the uh, uh, arcs uh, coding arcs website coding discovery, uh, it looks like we're going to get base building. So it's not a stretch to think that we're going to get player made bases and player made uh, stations with those two aspects. Do you think Frontier will burn the bubble, so to speak? No, they they could have done it already. Um, I think that the one criticism that's often made of the of the Thargoid narrative is that um, it's too tame. Uh, it doesn't. One thing that people say is it doesn't feel like there's an emergency. You know, we're we're told that we're at war, but it doesn't feel like it. You know, you can absolutely um, you can just fly around the bubble and not really feel like there's anything going on. Um, and that is true. And the thing that people don't recognize is that that is deliberate because it's a trade-off. Um, you know, either you burn the bubble and commit to your Thargoid war and commit to it being the major thing on, on everybody's um, agenda. Um, but then what you're doing is you're, is you're forcing that gameplay on, um, on a player that might just want to go mining or might just want to do some exploring. Um, and, uh, and arguably, that's kind of like griefing, forcing gameplay on somebody that doesn't want to engage with it. Um, if you, uh, the, the other option from a design perspective is to make a feature opt in. So have it so that, you know, there is this war going on, go and engage with it if you want, but it is opt in. You've got to fly out there. You've got to, you've got to choose to join the, um, to join the conflict zone. Um, that I, the, the, the benefit to that is that you're not forcing that gameplay or that narrative there and the that don't want to engage with that don't have to. The negative of it is that it necessarily comes at the expense of a sense of urgency. Um, I think that that decision was deliberate, and I agree with it. I think it was the right decision. Um, MMOs have, have sort of dallied with the idea of setting fire to the world and and stuff before, and it tends to it tends to be very very divisive. Um, and I'm thinking of like Cataclysm and the um, the invasion thing in Eve. Um, and um, and I think that a lot of really really passionate players have spent a long time building their sandcastles now, and to rip it all up would really piss people off unnecessarily. We don't need to. Um, so I think that I think the decision is a right is the right one to to have the Thargoids as opt in combat that you've actually got to fly out to and engage with by choice, not have it forced upon you. Um, the um, you know the, the, there's no there's no gameplay reason or game design reason why we couldn't. Have set fire to the bubble already um you know the, the incursion stuff is all there so uh so short answer now i don't i don't i don't think we'll see that I, I think we will see set pieces i think we will see week-long set pieces the rhythm of the game is is a week um this the server tick is um the data is updated with the daily tick but the but the the game significantly changes with the the weekly server tick and i think what we'll see is a cg style set piece battles when we've got atmospheric landings and when we've got space legs and when we've got 
sort of all these different ways to interact with the game and tell stories. I think that what we'll see is is the battle for Sol that will play out over the week, um, or the battle for Akinar. Um, and um, and you'll see things like Thargoid landing ships with with drones, and you've got to repel them with your with your rifle lasers and stuff. Um, and then you'll have other players that are that are trying to take out the, the Thargoid mothership that's in the system. And then you'll have other other players that are boarding the mothership and and, and like running through doors, shooting stuff, trying to get to the that is the that's the kind of thing that I think you'll you'll end up seeing is like but they'll they'll be they'll be according they'll be they'll be st- sort of scripted and not scripted in terms of cutscenes, but they'll be scripted in terms of the way that CGs and interstellar initiatives are scripted. Um, and um, but they'll fundamentally be opt-in. You know, if you if if you don't want to take part in that, you won't have to. It'll be a choice, and it will be telegraphed beforehand. Before we get to the point where we wipe out the Thargoids, I would very much like to see a, a surprise development. Because don't don't forget, you say earlier in this interview, you, you said the uh, the AI that wiped out the uh, the uh, Guardians, and that's true but only half the story. That's the AI that wiped out the uh, flesh-based Guardians. There was a faction of the Guardians that had previously uploaded their, their sel- themselves into the AI. They had merged with the AI. So another way to look at it would be to say that they are still the Guardians. They are just the only Guardians yeah. that are left. So yeah. I, would, I, I would love to see for the, for the Guardians to return... And for it to be some crazy game of cutthroat, some three-way, you know, three-sided battle of us fighting off the Guardian AI at the same time as us fighting off the Thargoids at the same time the Thargoids are fighting off both us and the Guardians at the, you know what I mean? Like it's just a crazy mishmash yeah. would be, would yeah, be awesome. Completely. I mean, games do that. Like, you know, Destiny has the Vex, which are AI robots, and the Fallen, which are purple beetle things you know games have balanced different types of sci-fi tropes against each other in terms of antagonists before and having having a, a like a, a robotic ai antagonist as well as a um as well as a, a swarm based insectoid one would make a lot of sense um so yeah i think that'd be brilliant I, I think we'll see that as well um in in some way i don't think we've seen of the guardians at all um I think the, the the unseen caretakers of the galaxy thing. It would be a massive shame if that was abandoned, um, because it was such a good little narrative breadcrumb towards something like you just described. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you mentioned Destiny, and and that that storyline is like my favorite storyline in any game. And I'm just kind of like, why can't my why can't Elite and Destiny kiss and make a baby? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've heard that a lot recently. I, somebody who um, somebody told me that he would confidently put Destiny's story and lore up there with Star Wars or the Lord of the Rings in terms of like depth of world building and, and, and like how compelling it was. Um, so I, I haven't been, I haven't been bitten by the Destiny bug. I've dipped my toe into it, but I don't, I'm not sure it's for me, but, um, but yeah, lore wise, I've, I've heard it's completely amazing. So the, the, the game itself is mediocre, but the story is amazing. And there's, it's kind of like Warcraft. The, the game itself is mediocre, but the game, the story is amazing. <laughs> yeah. So to the line, in response to the line, why can't Destiny and Elite kiss and make a baby? I'm just making a note right now. After we're done recording, I'm going to explain to you where babies come from because I think <laughs> you're a little unclear on some yeah. of the details. But, there are mechanical uh, problems there. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a few more steps. But anyways, um, 
yeah, for sure, man. I, 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 I am excited. I would love, love, love to see more of the Guardians. So your 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 statement of I don't think we're done with the Guardians or we've seen the last of them. I I am a hundred percent in favor of that. So um, I want to bring it back, sort of to end up uh, uh, to end. I want to kind of come back to the beginning. I want to come back to parallel worlds. For me, um, I had heard about parallel worlds. I and and I, as a listener of uh, Lave Radio and as a listener of Sagittarius, I you know I'd I'd heard of parallel worlds and and was sort of like, oh okay, you know that sounds interesting, whatever. But I've got a lot more elite stuff I want to get to. And what really what you did that pulled me in the hook was I think it was uh, issue two or issue three. I think it, I think it was two uh, where there was a side-by-side comparison of Elite Dangerous, Star Citizen, and No Man's Sky. And oh, you yeah. compare and contrast the three. And so I had heard about it afterwards that it's like, hey, there's a really good, interesting side-by-side comparison. And you discuss not this isn't put from a fanboy you know viewpoint it's an open and honest look and critique of the various strengths and weaknesses of all three products and also sort of like a, a look at, at at the the sort of um the whole industry the whole area of making a sci-fi game uh of different of different sort of flavors of space sim. I, I feel like um, that, that very long, very detailed, very sort of intricate look at each of the three and comparing and contrasting was what hooked me to is from when I was listening to that episode, that's, I literally went and subscribed and just said, okay, I want all of them. Um, <laughs> so that was amazing. And I want to thank you for that. Oh, God, the pleasure. Uh, that was that was super fun to write. Um, I, it, it was it was the sort of distillation of my thoughts about uh, about all three games, really, and the um, um, and the development of them. Because I've sort of you know I, I backed all three and and I've played all three quite a lot. Um, Star Citizen, the least, um, but I've played uh, a lot of Elite Dangerous, a fair bit of No Man's Sky, one hundred and sixty hours, something like that, and um, twenty or thirty hours of. Star Citizen, and um, I, I guess the the key the key takeaway for me was the Star Citizen. Star Citizen is people should play it and then talk about it, not the other way around. Um, right. Like the the flip side to the game dev is hard thing that I talked about earlier is that um, uh, is that like you once you've got once you've started to be dismissive of of um, of a property as being vaporware or whatever, um, it's easy to lose sort of to forget that they're still working on it. Um, Star Citizen is an awesome place to spend time. Like, it is phenomenal. Like, this, this, the, the, the flight model is ridiculously complex and really fun. It's, um, it's, still, it's still being tweaked a bit. Um, and, um, uh, and, you know, it's, it's, it's not as polished as Elite because um, it's, it's not finished. But, um, but it's, you know, Star Citizen has things like directional shields and, um, and the flight assist mode where you can, you can set how much the, the thrusters will correct for your actions. So how, how, how Newtonian it is, essentially. Um, and um, uh, and the, the, the ease and simplicity with which you go from flying the spaceship to, to walking around it um, is awesome. So, like, you know, it, it, it is grossly over like massively and laughably over over deadline like that is true 
but go and play it. It's, it's really cool. And people who say like, oh, it's not possible, it's not possible, go and play Star Citizen. It's, it may not be finished, but it is definitely playable now, and it is absolutely a demonstration of what's possible. So yeah, I'm, I've always been kind of the mindset, whenever they put out those uh, $10,000 ships, that they, they kind of torpedoed themselves a little bit. Uh, and what I mean by that is, is that if you are the guy who purchased one of those $10,000 ships, does that mean you just have a godlike ship that can never be destroyed? And yeah. if that's the case, <laughs> then I don't know how many of those were actually sold. I think at one point they said they sold like 10 of them, which is a little crazy to me. But um, yeah, if, if, you, if you think about it from a gameplay view and you get this godlike ship that you know can't be destroyed, well, then anything PvP related, if I'm just in the $60 ship, which is the one I own, um, I'm out. You know, I'm just gonna—I'm not even gonna try to do it. And then you, the flip side of that is, if you're the guy who owns the ten thousand dollars ship, and you get destroyed by the sixty dollars ship, well, then what the hell did I just pay for? And That's it's, true. It's—it's it's almost like they—it's almost like they—they said, well, hey, here's a pay-to-win thing, and it—it it, it was that—it was that point I kind of was like, all right, well, I'm gonna—I'm gonna play this game when they get to the to the launch because I'm just kind of you know I—I I, was—I bought Star Citizen and Elite. On the same day, <laughs> cool. Uh, only one of them I've, I've I don't have it installed, uh, but I've been kicking around, going and checking it out for a week or two just to check back in with because I haven't checked in since like the two point five or whatever update it was, and they're like on three point nine or something now. So I'm a little behind on it, but it's a good game from what I saw, but there there was just not a lot there at the time. And yeah, that's still that's that's still true. I think a lot of the gameplay stuff. Um, yeah. I I had an amazing like few afternoons, like just flying down into into planetary atmospheres and exploring them. Like it's just it's awesome. It's humbling. It's really cool. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, the, the only thing like a lot of the the stuff that's said about Star Star Citizen is absolutely true. But people should definitely play it. People should play the current build before they mouth off about it because. Um, because what those guys are doing is is amazing, um, and d- is d- is redefining what is possible. Um, the the ten thousand dollars ships thing, yeah, I, I find it difficult to get. I find it quite difficult to get um, to get particularly animated about pay to win stuff because um, I feel like the the problem is more of a game design problem than a than a player advantage problem. Um, yeah. For example, if you have if you have a robust um, crime and punishment system in which high security space is safe and low security space is unsafe and anarchy safe anarchy space is completely unsafe um if you bear that in mind while you're playing your game pay to win like in terms of combat is of you know that that has limited impact um the just because somebody's got a ship that's that's much much stronger than yours it's the crime and punishment response is going to be the same if they try and gank you um that is obviously. I, I know that that's quite simplistic, and it doesn't take into account things like, um, like indirect player versus player action, like uh, like like BGS equivalents. Um, in which case, paying to win will give somebody a, a larger um, force multiplier than than somebody hasn't paid to win. Um, but I, I I don't know. Like I find it I find it quite difficult to bother about. That. If somebody wants to leapfrog the progression, you know, if if Frontier were to say, right, okay, you can buy anacondas and gutters with real money now. If somebody, you know, I I, I find it difficult to care. Like. Um, 
arguably elite is it would be more harmful than elite because the security system doesn't the, the crime and punishment system doesn't work properly um but um but i'd still find it hard to care because i'd, I'd feel like other players were the game for their own and they're, they're ruining the experience for themselves if they, if they want to leapfrog to end game con- con- content and not enjoy the the good stuff in between that's kind of their problem um so i think that i i think broadly that there's it's pay to win is they've got to fund the game somehow and um and they're not selling anything to be able to earn for yourself in game so the way to think about it is that there are a few thousand people out there in the world who already own cutters and corvettes that's the way to think about it um and ask yourself how how worried you are by that um and also remember that they are that the game is not released yet and they still have the time to get crime and punishment right so the way to think for me the way to think about pay to win is to th- is to think about it in terms of a rule enforcement um problem rather than a rather than a player advantage problem if that makes sense no it makes a, makes a lot of sense go ahead man no no you go ahead well so i've you know, I, I I just tear it now. Like you, you've kind of made me uh, want to hop back in Star Citizen a little bit. And then I know that's I'm doing an elite dangerous show, so that's a little dirty thing to say. <laughs> Not at all, man. Not at all. Love them both. It, it, yeah, yeah. Love, love them both completely. Yeah, they're, they're, they're both. They're, I mean, one is one is still one is a fantastic game in embryo, and one is a fantastic game that could be more fantastic. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's definitely as they said. I think. Um, uh, what's his name? Chris Roberts released a, um, I think he released a, a video or a blog post or something back in 2014 or 2013, basically saying like people think there's this big rivalry. There's not. Like we are a couple of Star Wars nerds who really like space sims, and the more space sims there are, the happier we will be. <laughs> so the sure. idea that there's a massive rivalry between them is is not true. I don't think. Yeah, and I think I think also every success that Elite Dangerous has just pushes star citizen to be better and every success that star citizen has will push elite to be better yeah yeah i think that's true definitely i think when when start when star Citizen, i think that will be a really important time for elite dangerous i think it, it like it would there will be an expectation of at least feature compat like feature parity between them um and it'll be interesting to see what happens then well, I mean, I mean, so I mean, it's it's real easy for David Raven or, or Chris Roberts to be public and say, "Hey, we're not competitors; we're buddies." But when you get right down to it, there's only X amount of people who enjoy space flight sims or space combat sims. Um, and I don't know what that number is. Let's just say, let's say it's ten million. Um, yeah. Um, and out of that, there's only X amount of people because I I don't know of any plans to bring Star Citizen to the consoles. Um, I think it's strictly a PC and uh, yeah. PC gamers account for a small percentage of total gamers in general. I think it's something like in the thirty percent range, which is yeah, a little it's crazy. The kind of, it's the kind of decision I imagine they'd make further down the line, right? Um, and, and so I, I kind of look at it from the point of view like they're you know it's public. It's easy to say we're not competitors, but when you go right down to it, they are kind of competing for your dollars uh, because there's only you know, there, there's there's only so many games a year that I that most people can afford the purchase. I can afford the purchase, um, and some people can only like buy one or two games a year. Um, yeah, that's and true. Then you, and then uh, you look at a situation where, uh, you know, the the cost to play uh, is you got to buy a Hotas, you got to have a good rig, a good PC gaming rig. 
And then you got to buy the game. And then it's like, well, I can only really afford A or B. I'm going to buy A and maybe next year I'll buy B. And there's, mm-hmm. there's a very, there's a very real problem there that, um, from Frontier's point of view, they were smart to kind of go ahead and release what they got and then add on to it because they were able to get money there. And I don't know, I know there's a lot of overlap, but you're not going to get everybody to overlap. So to, to a certain sure. extent, that's a concept of zero-sum game, and I, I get that, but I, I, I will offer this as a challenge. Um, you made the statement of there are, I think you started with 10, say approximately say 10 million people on the planet that enjoy space sims. And, and that, that, that is, that is by un- no stretch an accurate number. So <laughs> no, 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 no. That's a number though that you threw out. And right, let me say, right. I, I, granting your premise 100%, and I'm not attacking that, here's what I will say. There are over 7 billion people on this planet. So the key, instead of trying to fight over the 10 million, I think the greater key to success is to grow the overall percentage of the 7 billion from 10 million to a billion, to 100 million, to whatever. And so so when I started... Uh, I'm I'm very sorry to say, and I'm very ashamed to say, I I had never heard of Elite back in 1984. I'd never heard of the previous iterations of Elite. I'd never heard of Elite Dangerous. I a year ago or less, you know, it was in the year 2019. I randomly set out looking. I was I was playing Final Fantasy 14. I was a little burnt out on the fantasy side and was looking for something space simmy, whatever. And of course, I had heard over the years. I had heard of Star Citizen. I'd never heard of Elite Dangerous. I'd heard of Star Citizen. I looked into it. I looked at videos of amazing and and was captivated and was super excited with Star Citizen as a concept of like, man, this sounds cool. Fly spaceships, pew, pew, I'm down. And then got to the part of, oh, and by the way, it's not out yet. It's not ready yet. And then got to just stumbled because of that, because of YouTube and me clicking through like six different Star Citizen videos, YouTube said like, oh, by the way, there's this other one. And I clicked on it. And this this guy had a video that said, hey, you're, are you excited about Star Citizen? I am too. Unfortunately, they're not ready yet. Here's a game that is. Check it out. They're doing all the stuff now. And exactly. I clicked on I clicked on that video. So if it weren't for Star Citizen, I never would have known about the genius of David Braben and Elite Dangerous and Frontier Development. And so I get what you're saying that there's, you know, a certain amount of dollars out there. And 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 yeah, when uh, when Star Citizen releases, you know, that math is going to change a little and it may be interesting, but also there's going to be such a splash if it releases and it doesn't like crater I mean, it, there's a chance that it could crater. Yeah, it could absolutely and, crater. And if it craters, okay, that's going to be a little rough. I'm not going to lie. But if it doesn't crater, if it lands, the splash from that, I think, is going to, there's going to be such a splash of media from that that there's going to be hundreds of millions of new eyeballs taking a look at the whole genre and potentially converting a whole generation of kids into the genre, which will then lead to cross-pollination and will lead to good things for all. 
Yeah, I agree with that. I, th- I, th- I think fundamentally that I think that the zero sum, the only turn amount of dollar, is true for a for a, a certain number of people. I think that that is. I think that's definitely justifiable for a proportion of potential players. Um, I think that the cluster effect is probably equally at play, which is um, which is essentially. Oh, that space sim looks cool. Maybe I'll buy a PC. Maybe I'll buy a hot ass. Maybe I'll buy a um, maybe I'll buy a VR headset. Maybe I'll buy desk mounts. Um, I've got all this clobber now, and I've spent hundreds of pounds on it. I want something else to do. Oh, there's this other space sim. I'll buy that. Um, I think so. So I think that is one effect that will definitely be at play. The second is, um, I think, as a proportion of spend, if you're the, the like, if you were to look at everything that I've spent on my ED experience. Which was, you know, include hot ass and pedals and VR and graphics card and and the rest of it. The the percentage of that that has been actually on the game itself is minimal. Like it's a few percent that I spent on the game itself. Um, and you know, if if you've already got, if you spent hundreds of pounds on clobber on your X fifty two on your desk mounts or whatever, and then you've got, and then you're looking at like forty pounds for a for a game. Once you've played, once you've got a thousand hours in that game, you will probably have managed to scratch together the other, for an, another forty pounds to spend on the other game. Um, yeah. So I, I think I, I, I think that the um, I think that for something like uh, once you're into the kind of simulationist uh, sort of cockpit, like home cockpit type thing, you're 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 kind of like I am a I am definitely more likely to pay. To play DCS now than I would have been three years ago because I've already got all the gubbins. Why? Would- um, right. And um, uh, I also think that Star Citizen has been the single biggest re- um, recruitment tool uh, for players for Elite Dangerous. Like so many people t- sell, tell the, say the same story that you just told about um, about seeing the videos of Star Citizen and then playing Elite because guess what? It's ready now. In fact, that's the reason my friend showed me that Ibutis video was because he was really excited for Star Citizen. And he found Elite Dangerous as, a, as an alternative that was coming out now. Like, I think, that is, I think the existence of Star Citizen is actually probably the best thing for elite, Elite's player numbers, the best single fa- factor for Elite's player numbers out there. Um, so I, my instinct is that they will, um, I, my instinct is that they will be really, really good for each other. The, the caveat for that is that it will be as much about, uh, it will be mu- as much about time spent as it, is, as it be, will be about um, the base price of the game, because I've spent at this point I've spent more on cosmetics than I have on um, the base game in Elite, as I, I imagine quite a lot of people have. Um, and um, and therefore, if Star Citizen comes out and it's feature complete, and Elite Dangerous does not yet have atmospheric landings, for example, I think a lot of people will go to spending their time in Star Citizen um, because it'll have stuff that Elite doesn't have yet, um, and that will have a that will have an impact on. On spend on things like cosmetics and Elite Dangerous, which was which must be at least as important as base game sales. So I think that I think that there is an element to the zero something, but I think it's more about time spent and and spend in game rather than base game sales. I think you'll end up with a period. I think in ten years' time, if all goes well, everybody who is going to play these games will own both of them. This would be my instinct. You think you think the the two companies will kind of partner up and do some sort of like cross play <laughs> thing, where like you can get the Star Citizen. Uh, fighter skin for your condor and you can get the uh federal corvette for your uh skin for your uh, <laughs> avenger titan you know oh i don't know i don't know i've got no idea i 
I can't I can't imagine so. You don't you don't see you don't generally see collaborations like that in in other um, industries. Sometimes in games of different genres, so you might see like Geralt creeping into a, a Mortal Soul Kombat Calibre. game or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, but I don't, I, I don't often see them as you don't often see direct comparators doing that. Not least for the immersion breaking aspect of it. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if they if it wouldn't surprise me if they tried to if the, if there was a sort of board level. Um, sort of uh, initiative to try and capitalize on the fact that there were two great big space sims out at the same time, like organizing joint conventions and stuff like that. That, that would be, I can imagine them doing that. That would be well, great. You, you know, for, for that matter, we're in a very interesting time because I don't remember a time, even back when, you know, I've, I've played space sims going all the way back to like X-Wing, TIE Fighter, and Free Space and Descent and all that. I don't think we've ever been in a situation where we've had more options as far as features go yeah and, completely completely uh because you know like as good as good as i've as much as i love those games they're linear it's like do this mission when you get done yeah. jump out you know and yeah uh, you know I, this these are these are the kind of games i've always wanted since i was just a little kid and then i would love to have some sort of this is probably a, a million dollar idea is what i probably what i need to start is uh, space sim con or something, space con, and, and, and just, <laughs> it would just be a really good idea. Box. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it would be a very, very good idea. Uh, and somebody could potentially make a lot of money if they, uh, if if you had sixty grand kicking around and um, uh, and you were willing to put the hours in, I imagine that would be a that would be a bloody good thing to set up in the next few years. Yeah, you so, got a uh, you got a Super Bowl pick for Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. I, I don't. I don't just, just say Kansas City. It's Kansas City. <laughs> definitely. I am. I, I, betting, betting the farm on Kansas City. <laughs> I think he's going for Arsenal. I, 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 had, I had to ask the Brit. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's well. Okay, so let's turn it around. Who do you think is going to take the Premier League this this year? Ty, go. <laughs> well, you know, um... come on, Tottenham, huh? Huh? Okay, okay. So. I'm I'm gonna have to go with um, uh, Google, Google, Google. No, I'm not even googling. I can't even think. <laughs> okay, Man so, U, so, Arsenal. So, come on. Not so. Premier is soccer, correct? <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! Yes, Premier. Premier is proper football, as in the ball touches your foot. <laughs> hey, I've never been. I've never been to Europe. Give me a break, man. <laughs> All right, so. All right, we'll put so you down for Michael Schumacher and Tiger Woods. <laughs> so while we're while we're doing the funny one, I'm gonna, there was one thing I wanted to ask you before we ended. So uh, uh, let's let's do the funny one. You're known for you're you're sort of famous for naming your your ship naming convention is uh, what is it like an adjective and then a rodent. <laughs> yeah. So I, I would like you please to come up with a brand new bespoke ship name for the Loose Screws podcast crew. Give, me, <sighs> give us your name. Who's, whose ship am I naming? It's going to be mine. I'm, it's going to be my ship. It's going to what, be... What ship is it? Describe your ship. It's going to be an Alliance Chieftain uh, Thargoid Hunter. Ooh, okay. All right. An Alliance Chieftain Thargoid Hunter. Right, okay. Uh, you will be flying the Frisky Possum. Frisky <laughs> Possum. That's awesome. Frisky possum it is, sir. Uh, <laughs> that is that is awesome. All right. And because uh, I could talk with you seriously for another eight hours and not even get yeah, me halfway too. through. Me too. But uh, <laughs> let me let me wrap this up. Uh, you gave us a scoop here 
to to uh, share with people. Um, Parallel Worlds just released a uh, their first uh, video article on YouTube, Lambda Cube: The Continuing Mystery of Half Life Three. So, for all of you Half Life fans out there, the link will be in the show notes. Go check it out. Subscribe to the Parallel Worlds uh, YouTube so that you can catch all of them as they come out from here. But uh, as a as an old school Half Life fan, I'm uh, uh, I'm a big fan. So yeah, I'm super. Yeah, let us, let us know what you think. It's our very first video. Now, now, have you already ordered Half Life, Alex? Uh, I've I, no, I have not. Um, I I don't want to. I don't want to play it until I have a better. I've I've got an Oculus Rift 2016 model, uh, and it's um, so I've got the crappy hand things, and it's a bit grainy and all that sort of thing. Um, I will probably play Half Life Half Life Alex. Uh, I don't want to pre-order a Vive to get it. Um, I don't think I'll buy a another VR headset until we're a generation on. Um, yeah. And I'll so I'll, I'll probably um, if there's if there's a, a genuine next gen VR headset out by. Uh, by November this year, I'll buy one then. Um, but I'm looking for 4K and HI wireless um, hand tracking, the you know the rest of it, um, which I can't see happening this year. Um, and uh, and I'll buy Alex when I when I get that. But I, but I primarily use VR for Elite, and um, I will play Alex. But I, I I'll play it when I've got the kit rather than the other way around. Yeah, I got you. I, I haven't pre-ordered it, but I went ahead and. Uh... It's it's on my it's on my Steam wish list, and I got the Rift S. I had the the original Rift, and then I bought the Rift S. And I kind of wish I just had waited to the Rift S because it's such an upgrade from the Rift. Really, it is quality wise. Now, here's the thing about that though: it's not night and day. Like if you want to talk about it's a generation leap, it's not. It's kind of like the difference between a uh, an X or an Xbox One or an Xbox One S. There is an yeah, upgrade, yeah. but it's not it's not leaps and bounds. It's like a yeah. 500 gig to a terabyte drive kind of situation, you know? Yeah, 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 completely. It's not a step change. I, I, I had heard that, and um, it was, I've the, the 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 only headset that I've come close to to buying is the um, the HP Reverb um, oh, wow. because uh, because it does not require base stations. Uh, it's OLED screens, which I think actually I might be wrong on that. Which have lovely deep blacks, which is good for Elite. Um, it's got uh, it's got really really high resolution, so you don't have the text clarity problems. Um, so um, so yeah, I've got quite specific because I mainly play Elite. I don't um, got quite specific thoughts when it comes to what VR headsets I want. And the HP Reverb does look very very cool, but again, it's it's a, it's it's like what it's generation one point five. Like you know, we're not there yet. We're not we're not yet at um, uh, holodeck. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, yeah. We're, not, we're just not there. So I'm sort of I'm, I'm I'm holding 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 fire on um on spending money. Yeah, I, I'm. For me, I'm the big leap for me will be when we go to the. Uh, so one of the things I've read about Oculus is working on is eye tracking. So the idea being, uh, you know, with your eyeballs, if you just kind of stare at a wall or either actually render, be able to interpret. Was you know basically dime size, you know, yeah, or, yeah, yeah or, absolutely, foveated yeah. rendering, right, right, and around it, the peripheral vision around it is like your brain renders it for lack of a better to or interprets it, not renders it. Your brain interprets it as like low resolution. So the I would the idea would be if we could get eye tracking software or eye, eye tracking hardware inside of the headset, and basically you know wherever you're looking is rendered in beautiful 4K. 
and everything around it is rendered in like, you know, 720 or, or lower resolution. Well, yep. then we can have fully wrap around headsets, like a full, like you'll be able to um, like look, look around with your eyes and just kind of have like a, like a, a scuba, uh, like a scuba goggle feel, you know? Yeah. 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 And absolutely. I know they're working on it because I read an article about it and they said that they're down to about half a second delay in between where your eye moves and the thing renders. Well, hmm. for most people, it's not a big deal, but for when you're inside of a headset, that that swap of the render is very noticeable. And, yeah. uh, you know, you gotta think about every time you jump your eye around, it kind of takes a second for it to come into focus very quickly on headaches and stuff like that, you know? So, yeah. um, when they get to there, I'm going to buy another headset. Cause <laughs> I, th- I think that'll be the leap that I'm looking for. Yeah, there are, there, there are, I think there's the, I think there are a couple of very, very high level, like enterprise tier headsets that are a couple of thousand pounds each that do that. Um, but, um, but yeah, for, in terms of consumer, like gaming, caliber it would be it would be really fantastic um the, i think the 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 one to watch at the moment for me is the oculus quest uh, oculus quest because until fairly recently that was a that was like a cheaper mobile also ran for the oculus rift you know get the oculus quest quest if you want to if you want to play beat saber with your mates wherever you want um in the, this year they've they've released two things um i think it's this year and i think they they were released together but one was you can now tether your quest to your pc so that it can take advantage of your pc graphics card and play pc games so you can play elite on your oculus quest i believe um which is fantastic i mean that's such wider mobility like play it play games on the pc using beefier graphics cards and then if you want to make use of vr at your mate's house just unplug it and off you go um mm-hmm. and the other thing that they've that they've either already introduced or are about to is um, hand tracking. So, you know, everybody was talking about the Valve Index controllers being amazing. They're next level. You know, they're so much more comfortable than the clunky controllers of the original Vive and Rift. That is true, but the Quest is just, is, is either has just, has just or is about to release an update which has, mm. which track your hands with no need for a controller. No need for the thing to hold. It will track your fingers. So you, you can have your, your hands rendered in game fully without needing to hold a controller, um, which is awesome, totally, totally awesome. Um, so I think I, th- I feel like Oculus are probably the the producer to watch in terms of where VR is going. Um, but for me, it's it's 4K in, in each eye. Um, whether that requires foveated rendering, I don't really mind. Uh, wireless, a lot lighter, um, really, really deep blacks, really crisp um, transitions, um, a load a load of stuff really, which we're we're just we're just not there yet. But um, yeah. it's it's so cool talking to. Um, I love these conversations because, like, it, it you know I could talk about things like the capabilities of VR and and or the like the development of Elite Dangerous or or different ways of playing it or whatever or like the the virtues of different desk mount manufacturers for hours. Like, I <laughs> absolutely love. <laughs> um, well, it's, me, it's so cool when you find people who have that, that exactly the same interest. So here's the thing: I, I know obviously you're a very famous uh, editor of uh, of two magazines, one uh, Sagittarius Eye and one Parallel Worlds. But you know, since clearly you have this yearning to talk about Elite Dangerous and whatnot, I would like to offer you the chance to come join us as a co-host. Because we do a podcast, so this will give you a whole new experience. You'll get a chance to be a part of a talk show on a weekly basis where you just talk about it. <laughs> <dangerous>. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was going to see how long until you broke there. <laughs> I, was like, I, was think, I was thinking like, oh, God, I don't know if I'll be able to fit that in. <laughs> oh, shit. I thought maybe you were like, is he smelling toast? Is he having a stroke? What's going on? <laughs> that would be a really, really fun thing. Imagine, um, that would be super cool, wouldn't it? Well, you are definitely, I, uh, unfortunately, I think we record our show around about two or three in the morning, Friday morning for you, but you are absolutely welcome to come join anytime <laughs> you want. I would love to. I, re- I, re- I don't, I don't, uh, I think we'll struggle with timings, but um, if you, if you ever do, if you ever do shows um, at weekends or at random times, um, I would absolutely love to join and be a co-host. Um, you know, not 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 as an as an interviewee, but just as just as someone to shoot the shit with. It'd be super fun. I got to do some roundtables. Mm, yeah. yeah. Um, well, with that, we're, we're we just hit the three hour mark, gentlemen, and <laughs> I think I think we need to dock. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. To the cast point, Suvereen, man. Um, you are you are always welcome on the show. Um, I got it to where the lave crew and the streamers, the guest speakers, can literally hop in this channel. Eat. Like if if we're just over here talking about something, or if you just or if you got something coming out, and uh, uh, hey, would you would you mind mentioning that you know the next issue of uh, Saga is going to be out? We'll probably get we'll probably mention it anyway. But uh, oh, yeah, okay, cool. All right, we'll bet we'll bear that in mind. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. sure. You know. Uh, um, just thank you um, ever so much for the the um, for being so uh, positive about all the stuff we do as well. It means a huge amount to hear that people are enjoying our work, um, I and I'll, I'll pass it on to all of the team, and they'll be really thrilled. Good, thank you. Um, but I think that's going to end it, gentlemen. Um, do you have anything else, Kyle? So everyone, when you hear this episode, check the show notes. I will have links to everything, but the most important one, and the one I want to say again out loud is www.patreon.com forward slash parallel worlds underscore mag. Go get it today. <laughs> it's definitely worth it. And um, uh, if you guys don't already, go print out copies of SAG A and go read them on the pot like I do. So. <laughs> <laughs> it is ideal toilet reading. And, and listeners, it is, um, it is very soft and absorbent as well. I, I didn't say use this toilet paper. I, I like it too much to do that. So. It has very high structural integrity and it's soft on the skin. All right, let's kill this recording so I can explain to Ty how babies are made. <laughs> thank you ever so much for having me. It's It's been an absolute pleasure and a, and a real honor. No, thank you very much for coming by. It's, it's been an honor for us. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Uh, we'll see you guys next time.